0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 14 of the Future Projection Podcast. We have a fun episode coming up with the draft mere days away as we record this on Thursday before the 2021 draft. Uh, I'm Carlos, as always, um, joined by Ben Badler. Ben, how's it going, man?
2: I'm doing great, Carlos.
0: Good to hear it. Good to hear it. We also have another guest, uh, Alexis Brednicki who makes her first appearance on the podcast uh alexis how are you doing
1: i'm very good happy to be here happy to join you guys
0: yeah happy so
1: to you guys basically <laughs>
0: <laughs> no no we're happy to uh excited to hear your your contributions on the draft what you think about guys uh, maybe we'll have you break down the whole canadian class um if, if you don't know listening alexis is from canada she is our canadian guru she's been helping us add some color to the draft throughout this entire process we're thrilled to have her um but sadly, she is uh, going on to law school because she's a lot smarter than us. So, not sure how often she'll be on the pod in recent weeks. But hopefully, she'll always be a be a uh, excuse me a baseball America member and family friend. Um, but Alexis, do you want to tell us how you kind of got started in baseball? How you got started in baseball America? I think you've actually been involved in baseball America before even long before I was involved in Baseball America. So you want to just tell the listeners kind of what you do, uh, how you got into the game and, and what's next for you?
1: Yeah, Baseball America was um, the first baseball internship I did in the industry. Um, I was an intern for BA in 2010, which seems crazy to think that that was 11 years ago now. Um, but I, I also, I worked for the Blue Jays back then as well, um, just during the season, during the summer, um, which I think is what kind of like gave me the opportunity at BA also, because my internship was in the winter and BA never had people come in in the winter to help with books and stuff. So it was a pretty good opportunity for me. And there was kind of a hole to fill, which I'm grateful for. Um, so yeah, I got I got started, I guess, in baseball. I, I love baseball. I played baseball. I played on boys teams. Um, and then I uh, got hired by the Blue Jays also in 2010 out of a graduate program in sports journalism. And I uh, just kind of kept going from there. I worked in the Australian Baseball League. I work for Baseball Canada as a press officer for the women's nationals team. Uh, i covered the junior national team, senior national team um, at international events. I have written for um, not only Baseball America, but uh, in Canada, Sportsnet, CBC, Canadian Baseball Network, uh, Prep Baseball Report. Um, I've written for the Harbaugh Times. I won a Sabre Award for a piece I did for the Harbaugh Times. Um, I got to go to scout school and uh, I'm trying to think. There's a bunch of things. I worked for an amateur program in my hometown in London, Ontario. I worked for Major League Baseball as well for a couple of years. Um, And I returned to Baseball America before I head back to law school just to get a chance to once again be on the amateur side I get to kind of enjoy the game in a different way than I have because I love baseball America I love the people of baseball America I love everything everybody does and has to offer um so I kind of thought before I go to law school this is a perfect way to to end it and uh get back to to loving the game and and just enjoy this draft uh which I'm super pumped about but then yeah when it's over I'm kind of moving on, going to Mizzou for law school, and then we'll see what the future holds.
0: Well, if your resume and and your accomplishments are any indication, uh, you're easily the most qualified person on this podcast to talk about baseball and to uh, break things down for us. So we appreciate you joining us, Alexis. Um,
1: Super happy to be here.
0: But we're going to talk almost entirely draft for this episode, wanted to have a little bit of a draft roundtable of sorts, talk about the class, talk about the different demographics, talk about what we expect the first round to be like as we sit here today, Uh, maybe go over some sleepers and then get to listener questions. We have a ton of really good listener questions today, Uh, so hopefully we can get to as many of those as possible. But um, I I guess to kind of kick things off, guys, I wanted to just get your general thoughts on this year's class and this year's draft process. I mean, I know you guys have been involved in drafts in various capacities in previous years. So you might bring um, new perspectives to this conversation that maybe I'm just overlooking, but for, for my perspective, I, I feel really good about this year's class. I think it's maybe the best high school group of hitters that I've covered. And since 2018, which was my first year kind of heading the draft coverage, I think that, we have a chance to see a lot of wild things unfold this Sunday. Maybe it'll start on Monday, but just given last year's summer with no evaluation period for the college players overall, and, and generally a down year for the college bats, I feel like there's going to, the combination of less consensus than ever before increased depth that's coming back from the 2025 round draft. Um, I, I feel like that's going to shake things up and, and we could have a lot of really interesting and, Um, maybe surprising picks um, that hopefully won't be too surprising kind of going in with the mentality that things are going to get a little bit crazy. But that's kind of how I see it. I think the high school hitters are the strongest demographic. I think college pitching and high school pitching is solid and then college hitting is down. But I'm curious if you guys have any different thoughts or what you think about this year's class. Ben, I guess we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, I think it's much better than trying to put it together last year. So that's that's an obvious one. And then there's no, I don't, I don't think there's a consensus number one overall pick. So we, we, you go four or five, six different guys, I think are in a legitimate consideration to go number one overall and, and wouldn't look out of place going number one overall. So that's part of it. The the college bats, I think we're seeing some guys, a, a lot of the guys who are famous or, or projected to go, You know, maybe even top 10 picks early on have either just outright struggled or certainly not lived up to expectations and have have fallen off. And there's other guys who maybe weren't big on the radar early on but have moved themselves into that first-round consideration and probably would have done so earlier had we had a normal summer with the Cape Cod League and, and the U.S. College National Team, but they just didn't get a chance to prove it. Last year, and then we have areas this year that are typically not hotbeds for talent, like the Northeast this year is obviously a big one like like you've written about Carlos is uh, there's just a lot of talent coming <laughs> out of the the Northeast this year. So when you have those areas that typically, or historically have not been a big source of, of talent for the draft when, when those areas are, are really rich in talent, I think that just adds to the depth of this class especially on the high school side.
0: Alexis, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean I obviously I'm, I'm with you guys on everything you said, but also I mean just the dynamic of like having the draft later, there are some more looks at some guys in the upper midwest and the northeast and Uh, well in Canada there would be a chance if Canada was not still under strict pandemic protocols Um, but obviously with the timing things are different I also think there is still I know we've we've talked about it before but I still think there's a factor of like how does the minor league roster limitation affect this draft Um, minor league organizations are limited to 180 players um if you are at or near your roster limit for those 180 players you have to cut someone in order to bring someone in from the draft whether that's a first round pick or a 20th round pick so i think there are a lot of question marks still um there's a lot of i think feedback to gauge still from the draft combine from the timing of this from scouts looking at two classes of players at one time um I think it is it is super interesting not just in terms of like what we will see in terms of how the picks play out and the order that we see and what happens but I think just kind of like everything following this the feedback that will be had and heard um, and what people actually think once this all plays out will be really fascinating.
0: Yeah I think the the comments about like the roster crunch that teams are going to face after this draft is a really important one to note and maybe one that we haven't really talked about a lot, but I feel like we kind of have competing factors here, just at least with my sense of the high school class being really strong with the reshuffling of the minor leagues, you would think that would incentivize more college players, players who are ready to maybe start at higher levels or, or face better competition in their pro debut right away. Um, But at the same time, you've got a lot of players who teams really haven't seen um, on the field much. They don't have much information just because you didn't play any last year so having to decide which players you're going to cut for a bunch of new draftees I feel like is going to be a really difficult process for teams I mean maybe every year uh, here on out just because of the minor league reorganization but certainly after a year where we didn't play baseball at all I feel like that adds a really a really big glut of players in teams organization so Are we going to see teams use all 20 of their picks? Uh, If so, you've got a lot of turnover that you're going to have on your minor league team. And do you feel confident enough in your evaluations and the time that your players who are already in the org, um, the time that they've had to kind of prove themselves or establish themselves or show that they can't hang?
2: Particularly at the lower levels, too, because right now you've had the 2000, the 2019 international signing class they they basically haven't played up until like a week ago (laughs) so 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 you already have a roster crunch as far as what are you going to do with all those players and and how you're going to just internally evaluate your own 2019 international signing class the 2020 international class which just signed in january obviously hasn't played at all yet so you've got especially at the lower levels. And that's where you're bringing these, especially the high school players that you're going to draft into your organization. There really is, especially this year, probably more so than there will be in any future years. Certainly. I hope a more of a log jam at, at those lower levels right now.
1: Well, and correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the Dominican summer league does not count against the 180 roster limit, but the other complex leagues do that. I can't remember what the, Arizona, Arizona coast league. And I don't, I'm going to get those names wrong, but the the other complex leagues count against that limit Uh, injured players also count against that limit. There's no phantom DL. There's nothing to do with that, but I have heard from some teams too, that players who may be international signees who have come over and are kind of playing over here, they might get sent back to the DSL just because that is a place where they don't count against that limit. So that might be one, uh, I don't know. Unfortunate way that they're they're going to stay under that limit, but um, yeah, there's a ton of questions about that, and I I am interested in how it plays out. I'm glad I don't have to make any of those decisions, and I just get to watch.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, th- this year's draft in general, even outside of all the minor league stuff, just seems like a logistical nightmare. And the more you kind of think through like the process that all the players have to go through, or the scouts have to go through, it seems like a real challenge for teams. And I think if you were to poll every scouting department on whether they would want to keep the the later July draft date or go back to the June draft date, I feel like almost every single one of them would prefer earlier. Um, And I am very curious. We haven't even mentioned this, but this is the first year that the draft is tied to the all-star game. I feel like the biggest benefit of that is it makes it a better experience for the fans. And if that's actually not the case, I really don't know what the benefits would be to pushing back, the draft unless you really view college players not having to play during the draft as a benefit, which I think certainly counts. Um, but in addition to that, you have college coaches who have to deal with their roster turnover and a very tight window to figure out who's getting to campus, who's not getting to campus, how you can shuffle your recruits, how you can add transfers, how you can pick up different guys to, to fill out your roster um, and balance playing time at bats and innings. Um, it's only a couple of weeks, um, with the signing deadline, I I believe coming, uh, August 1st or or very early in August this year. So that'll be interesting as well. There are a lot of ramifications just outside of who's getting picked where this year. That'll be really fun to watch. Uh, But with that, I think we wanted to talk through a few of the demographics, uh, obviously the main four demographics that we kind of view the draft through are college pitching, high school, high school pitching, college hitting and high school hitting. I wanted to kind of see what you guys thought about each of these classes, just generally each of these demographics, I should say. Um, then we can talk about a few players who are either interesting to you guys uh, or some obvious names to know at the top of the draft. If you guys, if you listeners are still kind of using this to, to kind of prep for the draft, but want to see if you guys can throw a twenty eighty grade on each of these demographics. If you feel comfortable in doing that, I'll throw out what I think. Um, but let's start with college pitching. I think coming into the year, I thought this was going to be a a strong group, um, maybe an above average class of college pitchers. But I I do think that with a few of the injuries we saw with players at the top of the draft, specifically Jaden Hill and Gunnar Hogland, I think it's probably closer to an average class. I would put a 50 on it. We have three players, or I should say we have two college pitchers in the top 10, um, which seems a little bit light. Uh, Ty Madden is just outside of that. And then we get into kind of the second tier of college pitchers, but I would put a 50 on it. Uh, what do you guys think? I guess I'll, I'll tee it up to Ben first so you guys don't talk over each other.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, we've seen – I think Jack Leiter is a legitimate candidate to go number one overall. I think obviously him and, and Rocker is, is really strong at the top of the draft. But, yeah, like you said, we've had some, some injuries this year. Some guys have not lived up to expectations in – in other ways. So I I don't think it's a a standout year for college pitching. I don't think it's anything terrible either, but, um, but yeah, I I think a 50 is a fair grade for it.
1: Yeah. I'm with you guys. I think, um, obviously I think like, coming into even the college season the excitement of of lighter and rocker it kind of like made it seem more exciting right off the top with some big names and them being right at the top and just like being together on the same team and it created this excitement where it was like this is the best ever like i mean obviously it wasn't but yeah i think i'm with you it's uh once you kind of look a little deeper than than right up there it's uh it 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 does. I, I'm with you. I'm I'm with you on the average grade there.
0: I think that it would have been interesting to see because like Gunnar Hoagland, if he was healthy, I think you could easily see him slotting in as a, a top 10 kind of pick. Um, and then Jaden Hill is obviously the biggest wild card now because he not only got hurt, but he also didn't perform very well. But entering the year, I mean, his his stuff grades uh, and what teams were kind of expecting of him was to be one of the best pitchers in the class. So I think my kind of perception going into this was that you had five players between Kumar, Jack Leiter, Gunnar Hoagland, Jaden Hill, and then Ty Madden, who had a chance to be top 10. And I think with health, you you really only need to look at Jaden Hill to perform a little bit better to get to that. So I think it did have really, really good potential to potentially be an above average group. But as we sit here today, I think average is, is a little bit more fair. Um, let's move on to high school pitching. I think probably similar here. We've got a couple of guys that are legitimate first round pitching prospects, led by Jackson Job, uh, Andrew Painter, and then Bubba Chandler, who is also a two way guy. Although I guess Job is a two way guy as well. I think in in my mind, I view Job as as less of a two way player than Bubba Chandler for whatever reason, and maybe that's not fair. Uh, but either way, I think high school pitching is probably solid this year. Maybe you could give it a tick above on depth because I really do believe that this year's high school pitching depth is impressive, especially if you're giving extra points for, for the left-handed pitchers in this class. I think they're, I, I don't, I haven't run the numbers, but I feel like there are more prep left-handed pitchers in the top 100 than any of the past three years I've been doing it. Um, but I feel like we've got a couple solid players at the top and really exciting depth throughout. What do you guys think?
2: I'd go even a little bit higher than that. I mean, I, th- I think we have Jackson, jo- a high school right-handed pitcher who we're pretty confident is going to go in the top 10 maybe even top five and we think deserves to be there I mean part of it is just the you know the, the college bats not rising to the top like they normally should and, and that helps Joe move up but I, th- I think I mean I, to me he's better than I, I would take him ahead of mick abel i mean it's hard to say at the same time last year because there was no high school season for mick abel to go out and pitch the way everybody has this year so it's maybe not the fairest comparison but i think we have the, a, an elite high school right-handed pitcher this year in, in jackson job and then I, I think there's a lot of depth too i mean obviously we, you know we talk about the top guys like uh you know painter and petty and salamito and uh, you know, Frank Mazzucato jumping up and, and putting himself into that, you know, maybe the back of the first round to, to second round mix. But I mean, I, I keep scrolling down our list, even into the, you know, the, the 200 type range. And there's some pretty big arms that I I like in this in this later range, even in like, you know, even as we get into the 300s or so. So there's, and I, I think even, Deeper than that, I mean, obviously require some deeper projections on some of those players, but I, I think there's a lot of depth of, of high school pitching this year. I, I would go with a 60 on it.
0: Oh, I like it. And I do, do think, to your point, if Joe goes where we expect him to go, he has a chance to be the highest selected high school right-hander since Hunter Green went second in 2017. Um, pitchers after that, the highest one we have is Carter Stewart, who is number eight overall. And he's the only one to crack the top 10 until you get to Hunter Green. And I think Joe probably should be within the top eight. He certainly has a chance to go higher than eight. Um, But comfortably in the top 10, it seems like at this point. Uh, But Alexis, are you you more average? Are you more plus with Ben? You somewhere in the middle?
1: I'm... Yeah, I'm with Ben, but I also feel like I'm probably biased because even among all the excitement for Jackson Job, like there's probably no one more exciting uh, among our VA staff for Jackson Job than me. Uh, he's just like, like, I'm not saying if I had the number one pick, I would take him, but I'm saying he's my favorite personal player at the top of this list. Um, and I, I definitely think that kind of skews my, my grade a little bit overall, but I'm I'm 100% with Ben and I am uh, also just like super pumped for, for Jackson Job and to see what he does. Like he's not even, I know you said you think of him less as like a two-way player, but mm-hmm. uh, he's not even, he's not even, in, you know, been pitching for very long, really. He's not been focused on pitching for that long. Um, so to do what he's done in like a short time of having this focus just makes me all that much more excited on, on what he can do in the future.
0: Yeah. Alexis, you've talked to Jackson and, and written a really good story on him. So if you guys who are listening, haven't read that, I would definitely go check it out. But did, did you learn anything about like how, kind of how he goes about the game and how he is able to, to be as accomplished as he is at this young age? Like you said, without spending a ton of time, just focused hundred percent on pitching because he just does a lot of things that I feel like you can't teach, and when he does get into a situation where people are teaching him sort of a, the more refined things about pitching, his upside is just tremendous. I mean, it's not hard to find a scout who thinks that Job, like tool for tool, is the best pitcher in this class above both the Vandy Arms.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think obviously it probably helps um, when your dad is a professional athlete as well as dad is branch old, professional golfer. Um, I think, I mean, when you grow up just like playing all the sports and doing all the things and understanding failure and understanding adjustments in a completely different light, like I... You know, I understand failure and making adjustments, but I don't have a professional athlete parent who is actually laying it out for me and, and helping me see that come to fruition. Um, for him, obviously, I mean, there's just so much like naturally there, like the slider, which is unbelievable, just came out of a grip that he was like throwing like a football with his dad in the backyard. Um and that just kind of evolved from there. It was just like, it, it, I mean, so the talent is obviously there. Like, I don't think that is just like easily replicated whether you have a family of professional athletes or not. I think he just is uh, above and beyond, but to, I mean, to your point, he is an incredibly quick learner um, he sees something, he puts it into play, he does it. Um, to have that ability is obviously incredibly highly valued um, in the sports industry in general and baseball, but um, he's able to just kind of take those cues and run with them, find success with them, latch onto them. And that's, I think, what's led him to where, where he is right now.
0: Yeah, your point about like a parent being a professional athlete is a good one. And I, I think it's fascinating that all three of our top pitchers in this class have parents who are professional athletes. Obviously, Jack Leiter's father's Al, who was a longtime pitcher in the big leagues. And I, I can't even imagine what having a, an influence like that in your life is on your pitching development as you're growing up. And then Kamar's dad, Tracy, uh, played in the NFL. So th- the fact that we've got our top three pitchers, all three with professional athletes, as fathers in three different sports. um, It's just kind of a cool little wrinkle to add to this class, but it seems like I've been outvoted high school pitching. You guys both give 60s, I was more 50. I think the one thing that I'm kind of hesitant to go higher on is that I don't know, I don't know where we'd be talking about Joe fitting in this class if the college bats um, were more of a solid or above average year. And it's hard for me to kind of see because we know that, we know that high school right-handers get pushed down the board on draft day. Maybe I should just discount that entirely because the talent is what the talent is. But I, I feel like he, he's going to be helped out because there aren't college bats. Like teams really would like to take college bats, I think at the top of the draft if they're there, but they're just not there this year. So that's kind of what's, what's holding me back a little bit. Um, but we can jump into college hitting. I don't think it's crazy to say that this is probably the weakest demographic of the draft class. Um, I really don't know how much lower I would go than a 40. It's at least a 40. I think you could probably say it's a 30, um, just comparing it to an average draft class. I mean, we have two college hitters in the top 10, and I think South Frelick for many teams is not a, like a consensus top 10 talent. And then you get into the Frelick, mclean Kowser trio, as kind of your your clear second tier bats with henry davis being the the pretty consensus top college bat in the class i feel like if you compare henry davis to some of the top college hitters in previous draft classes it's just a separate tier altogether not that i don't like henry davis but it's not the most fluid swing it's more of a strength-based operation there are questions about whether or not he can catch so I, I think this is probably the, the weakest area of the draft this year and I'll go 40 for now, but I can be convinced to go a little bit lower depending on what you guys think, but I'll kick it to you, Ben.
2: Yeah. I like Henry Davis. And I, I think he's one guy who has significantly elevated his stock coming into the season. And, and yeah, Sal Frelick has he had a good year. I don't think in, I think this year he probably will be a top 10 pick. And in a normal year, I don't know that he would be, Uh, you know, like you mentioned, McLean, Cowser, those guys will go in the first round, but you know, I I guess once, once we get to about pick 20 or so, the boards are going to go all, all different ways for different clubs. So we'll probably have a couple more college guys after that go in the first round, but it's pretty light for the number of college hitters going in the first round and and the number of college hitters, like you said, probably, you know, who knows what, 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 team, what kind of deals teams will cut, but maybe two college bats in the top 10 picks. It's not, it's not grabbing. There, there, there's just a lot of guys who I think came into the year with pretty big expectations who disappointed and, you know, Connor Norby is a guy who, who went the other way and, and really raised, his profile and, and raised his stock. And I, I like his hitting ability a lot. I believe in his bat, the East well, Carolina, he's session. a
0: short hitter. So of course you like him, Ben, right. That's your well, No, he's a
2: good hitter. That's why I like him. <laughs> I just like the good hitters. So yeah, there's, there's some guys like that who've, who've helped themselves out, but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's pretty underwhelming. So man, and some of it's, you know, I want 60 on high school pitching in large part, cause I'm always I'm more skeptical of high school pitching, but I actually see a lot of depth there this year relative to what my expectations would be, but relative to what my expectations are for a standard draft class for high school hitters. I think this is very underwhelming. Yeah. For college hitters. I'll put a 30 on it.
0: I mean, that seems, that seems perfectly defensible. And, And I do think to your point last year, there were four college hitters taken in the top 10 and we're here talking about four college hitters that we feel comfortable are going to go in the first round overall. I do think you're right that like, there are going to be some guys who go in the back of the first and and Norby is one. I think Trey Sweeney is another guy who did a lot to improve this season and might be looking at a first round selection because of that in a down class, but Alexis, uh, thirties and forties, does that sound about right to you for college hitters? Are you more optimistic? Are you going to go 20? Worst of all time. (laughs) I'm definitely,
1: no, I would definitely never do that. I don't think, uh, I don't think I could do that. But uh, I mean, I might split the difference. I might go like a 35, but it's, um, I also wonder, like obviously when we're talking about other classes being um, above average, it is, uh, it takes away from maybe some of this wonderment, but I do think about, you know, these guys and what they missed missed out on in terms of their development and how that affected them this year. I don't know that this class is the same uh, grade level if, if some of these hitters got a chance to hit last year. Um, and I will also shout out myself again, um, Henry Davis, I wrote a story on Henry Davis also um, would love for people to read it, but it is, um, I mean, it just kind of highlights <laughs> his obsession with the game and his obsession to get better. Um, and it is funny when I was talking to him, I kind of, I said like, Hey, I don't want to use the word like obsessive. And he was like, no, no, that's the word. Like that's that I'm obsessive. That's (laughs) fantastic. All right. I was like, yeah, we can do that then. And we just, and we just went on a roll. He told me all about it, but I mean, um, I'm interested to see like where Henry Davis ends up, how it ends up going particularly after kind of talking to him and getting to know him, talking to coach McDonald a little bit about him as well. Super interested in that, but I mean, you're right. To go from from f- four college hitters in the first ten picks to four college hitters in the first round, um, that's a bit of a dive.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just so going. The I'm just going back through the recent drafts, and I'm trying to find how far back you have to go before there was a college hitter not taken with one of the first two picks. And so far, I'm at 2012, and because Brendan McKay was drafted as a first baseman, you have to go all the way back to 2011 before you find a draft or a college hitter was not taken with one of the first two picks that year, it went Garrett Cole, Danny Holton, Trevor Bauer, and then Anthony Rendon at four to the nationals. So, I mean, going all the way back to the 2011 draft it is not really surprising because we know that teams really just love taking elite college bats at the top uh, this year. There's certainly a chance that we don't have a college hitter off the board until, I mean, maybe the fifth or sixth pick. I think Henry Davis probably has a, a good shot to go at somewhere in the top six. It wouldn't be surprising if he up, if he, excuse me, wound up going one to the Pirates on an underslot deal. I wouldn't be shocked if he went number two, but I also don't think that he's the most likely selection for those picks at this point, if that makes sense. So, certainly uh, not the greatest group of college hitters. But are, are there any guys that you? you wanted to dive into a little bit more because Alexis, I think your point about them not having as much developmental time is a really good one. And I think there are a lot of guys who if they had that Cape or that, that USA time, we'd be talking about them in a much different light. I think the name that I go back to for that a lot is Ethan Wilson, the South Alabama outfielder, who is kind of the, the perfect example of a guy who needs that summertime to give teams a lot of conviction as hit tool. He plays in a smaller conference against worse pitching um, than a lot of the power five and certainly the sec and ACC conferences and most of the big conferences. Um, and he's certainly a bat first profile as well. So for teams to feel good about him, they have to be really convicted in the hit and the power. And he's performed through his South Alabama career. He entered this year as one of the better, power hitting like in-game home run guys in the class this year. Um, And I would just wonder, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but a guy like Nick Gonzalez last year out of New Mexico state, how is he evaluated if he didn't have the Cape that he had to really prove his bat to prove uh, his ability to hit with wood against really good pitching. Uh, He's kind of the name I I go to, but it it is interesting to think through. And, And even Ben, like you were saying, Connor Norby, if he's a guy who goes in the Cape and performs, He's not just like a guy who came out of nowhere. He he was a guy who established himself the summer previously. So you, you feel a little bit better about him. Are there any other players that you guys feel like fit that, that kind of type of hitter?
2: Yeah, totally. I, I think Tyler Black would be another one like that. I mean, second baseman at, at Wright State, who I, I think he can, I think it really hit. I, I think he controls the strike zone. Well, I think he's going to get on base at, at a strong clip, but he's also at, Right State, right? He's not at Mississippi State or Vanderbilt or one of these big power programs where he's facing top college competition. So yeah, seeing him perform in a a summer league like the Cape or, you know, the, the US college national team, with wood, wood. He's
1: Canadian Ben come on man well, I,
2: I I had to jump in quickly because <laughs> I knew you were gonna say Tyler Black so I had to get him out was, quickly I, and I claim did, him as I my own we say. I can always
1: add on Tyler
0: Black we might have to fight over who likes Tyler Black the most because I was really excited that what? he was on our sleeper Not list no no I, I I had him on the sleeper list before the season I was really excited about him and then he performed and I felt really good about it and it sounds like Ben likes him uh, is he a short hitter? I think he's a little bit. He's not too short, but
2: no, he's got he's got some size to him. But it's it's not a <laughs> lot of it's not a lot of other supplementary tools, right? He's not. I mean, he's not Benny Montgomery. It's it's yeah. kind of the opposite, right? Like it's the, the the bat is the carrying tool with him. Everything else is you know fringy average ish, right? But I, I, if he can if he can play second base, I, I think he can really hit and control the strike zone get on base uh you know has has enough power it's it's not you know a big runner or big arm or anything like that but he's he's a very a very hitterish guy he's just been at right state so there's going to be some more skepticism until you see him against some better competition which normally we get but we obviously didn't have that last summer
1: yeah, I, um, I was going to bring up Tyler Black, but I was going to bring up Judd Fabian first, just because yeah. I, I wonder where the difference is, especially after, I, I and I have written about Tyler Black, and I have a piece on Judd Fabian coming up, so here Alexis, I am again. So just, just cranking it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But I do wonder about the difference between guys who 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 just constantly spend all year, every year playing baseball, like a guy who's from Florida and a guy who is playing in Florida, who is at Florida, uh, versus like a Canadian guy like Tyler Black, who is used to long layoffs from not playing, from growing up in Canada. So does that, does he have a better adjustment? And I think what kind of led me to this question was talking to Judd about uh, I mean for him obviously he was striking out a lot at the beginning of the season he changed his two-strike approach he got rid of his leg kick things got better at the end of the season but when he and I were talking about it a lot of it came back to his level of confidence and I think if you're a guy who is used to playing all year round and you are used to having your confidence adjusted up and down I think maybe you don't get into those slumps maybe as deeply as perhaps you might have seen this year. Or if you're a guy like Tyler Black, who spends a lot of time not playing, I think you're used to that a little bit more. And I think it is an easier adjustment to make. I don't obviously, I have no science behind this. This is like anecdotal evidence from talking to a couple of people, but um, I do wonder just about that layoff, about how it affected guys, about how it affected their confidence, about affecting them getting in and out of slumps. And um, I just think, I do think that those kind of comparisons between a guy at Wright State from Canada versus a guy at Florida from Florida um, is kind of just like an easy contrast to, to look at.
0: Yeah, that's a really good call. And I feel like there's no easy way to kind of quantify all this stuff, but there, there certainly is some impact of the last year and, and how teams are able to best incorporate that into their decision-making process and and just I, I mean i think a big thing is just doing a lot of your homework on the stuff alexis you're talking about getting to know these players what was their thought process how did they handle things um and how do they react to these different situations you really have to know the player a lot as well as as much as you can grade out the tools and, and look at the performance w- one last hitter that i want to mention because I've, I've long been very high on him and he was maybe the biggest um disappointing college bat this year, just given the preseason expectations and kind of how he ended up with his season. And that's another Florida hitter, uh, Miami catcher, Adrian Del Castillo. I mean, it's just very hard for me to have some of the comments that scouts talked about with his bat prior to the season. It's hard for me to let a lot of those go with his first two years with Miami. I mean, he entered the year as I think if you were to pull teams on the best peer hitter in the class Del Castillo would have been the guy. Um, he did not have a great year this spring. I think one of the bigger questions for him now is like, how much power is he going to get to? He did not hit for a ton of power. He didn't hit for average as well as teams expected after hitting over 300 his first two years. Um, but I mean, just his track record of hitting, even going back to high school, he was a guy who hit with a wood bat. And scouts kind of comment on the fact that he always he had this white mark on the barrel of his bat because he would line up his hands before he would swing every time and just consistently put the barrel on the ball. So I'm really high on his pure hitting ability, uh, but he has some questions. He didn't perform. There are questions about whether or not he's a catcher at the next level. Um, and if he's not a catcher at the next level and you have questions about power, now you're worrying about the profile as well. So curious to see where he goes and whether or not this season was kind of an outlier for him or a sign of, of, of who he truly is as a hitter. Um, but unless you guys have any other ones, I think we can jump to the high school bats.
2: All right. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a good high school class for, for hitters for sure.
0: Yeah. You will. You take it away, Ben. I've gone first on every other one. You go first
2: on this one. Yeah. It's, I mean, if, if we were just going to grade high school shortstops, I mean, you got to go at least. I mean, 70, at, at least, least, a, 70 at least a
0: 70 and like a chance to be an 80, right?
2: Yeah, it's I mean, Jack, I feel pretty confident Jack Lighter will go in the top five picks where I'm not like saying <laughs> anything radical there. But otherwise, I, I could pretty easily see the other four picks in the top five being being high school shortstops. I mean, Jordan Lawler, Marcelo Meyer, Brady House, Khalil Watson these guys all could easily go top five, even top three picks. I don't think anybody's going to really blink at it and say, Oh, that's a stretch for that guy in in that spot. So we have a a really elite group of, of high school shortstops. And then I, I think the high school outfielders, there is some depth to it, but you know, like Benny Montgomery and Joshua Baez and Lonnie White Jr. and James Wood. And there's some other good outfielders out there, but they all do like two or three things that you really like or really love. And they all have some pretty significant red flags too. So to, to just the shortstops alone, I would go 70. And I I, th- I think the overall position players are good, but I would probably go just a, I'd go straight six on the high school hitting group.
0: That seems fair. I like that. I feel like this is certainly the strongest group. So if you guys have put pluses on other groups, I would have to put at least a 65 on the high school hitters overall. Uh, I do think it's it's a chance to be the best shortstop class of all time. Um, just in terms of high school shortstops going in the first round, I, I feel pretty confident we're going to break the record for first round shortstops. I mean, all those four are locks and it's not going to be surprising at all if we have another guy like a Max Muncy or a James Triantos or an Alex Mooney, someone who maybe isn't a consensus um, first round type by all teams, but it just takes one team to uh, to make that in the first round. Um, but I think what, what also I get excited about with this high school hitting class is the athleticism just in general of the class. I don't know, certainly a class that I've covered that has this many high school athletes with all the high school shortstops, with the outfielders you're talking about, but even guys like Harry Ford, who's kind of a freak athlete as a catcher, just the athleticism and the tool set is really exciting in this class. I think you you generally have better athleticism and tools in any high school class, but this year it seems like a, a different kind of caliber and a different tier. Alexis, what do you think about this high school bat class?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I think uh... I will shout out your piece. Carlos did a great piece on the four uh, high school shortstops. Um, definitely one to to read. And if you're gonna talk about high school athleticism, I would say Bubba Chandler is a glaring omission right there. Um, the I mean, the athleticism is definitely, what excites me the most literally about any player that exists um I love to talk to athletes who do athletic things really well um so I mean I'm with you I think I would say 65 since we put a 60 on um other areas so uh I'm I mean I'm definitely with you guys excited about the athleticism excited to see what happens um excited to see where all those shortstops wind up and how many the first round holds
0: Yeah, I think the the Chandler call is a good one. And another guy we haven't mentioned is Will Taylor. So having two Clemson commits who are really talented in other sports as well, both football players, obviously. Will Taylor was also a really good wrestler in high school. And I mean, you could go through most of the top 100 players. And I think in their scouting report, we talk about like standout athleticism or multi-sport athlete. Like Jay Allen is another guy who was a three-sport athlete. We haven't talked about Jay Allen, but... I mean, he hopped on the field while still playing basketball and was shooting balls all over the field as a hitter. So for a lot of these guys who are multi-sport players, I really hope teams get them in orgs and we can get them in baseball because just those players, when they come to baseball and, and focus on baseball, the the room for improvement that they have is exciting. And I just like getting those athletes away from other sports because they're fun on the baseball field. And, and too often, I feel like we lose them to other sports. And I really hope there are a couple of teams that are going to be in on Will Taylor enough to sign him out of that Clemson commit. And then same thing with Bubba Chandler and a number of these other guys. Um,
2: And Joe Mack high school catcher up in New York mm-hmm. superstar volleyball player leading them deep into the mm-hmm. deep into the state finals on, on that. Hopefully we can lure him away from professional volleyball. <laughs>
0: what are the, uh, what are the professional opportunities in volleyball? Is there a big league that uh, I don't know
2: about? That is, that is outside my circle of competence. We
0: should make an all, <laughs> we should make an all non-baseball team and take all of the best prospects here and make, the, the best athletes in other sports, I feel like there are at least like five or six other sports. We could have really impressive performers in between golf. Like I was talking to Marcelo Meyer and he said he had just recently started golfing and hit like three over par after three months of golfing. and He never golfed before. Like, it's just not fair that these <laughs> kids are, are, are that talented just naturally, but that's why they're.
1: Even John Rhodes, I shared a, mm-hmm. uh, a video of John Rhodes doing in high school. Mm-hmm. He's uh, at Kentucky now, but doing um, the long jump in high school, which he said yeah. his the, the track and field coach came to a basketball game because he also scored like 1,500 points in high school in basketball and after breaking his back in his freshman year as well um which is just like this he is unbelievable but the 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 track and field coach saw him at a basketball game saw him dunk and said hey we would love you to come out to our to our team and just long jump for us and John was <laughs> like I'll do that as long as I don't have to practice and the coach so was fun. like it's a deal so he goes he just literally goes out to the track Has never even, like, I don't even know how you get your steps down. Like, I would just trip into the sand. But he goes, he long jumps, he sets a school record. He jumps 22 feet, which is, like, unbelievable to me. Like, the dude is flying. I shared a video. And, I mean, I would, the athleticism is just always so amazing to me and that these guys are so good at so many different things. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm pumped to see them play baseball. I hope that's what they all choose.
0: Well, we haven't even talked about chase Mason too. And I feel like that's one of your personal cheese balls, Alexis. I mean,
1: favorite. Yeah. We got to see
0: him at the combine. He has stupid power, but it sounds like he's also a guy that just shows up uh, on the track team, just does his thing.
1: Four sports star chase Mason at the beginning, before, before the beginning of the school year, um, I know he was telling scouts, the local scouts, that like he was gonna, he was gonna be a, a national champion of four sports, like or he was gonna be a state champion, whatever it was. And he tore his ACL uh, first or second football game of the year, unfortunately. So he didn't get to, he didn't get the football season, he didn't get the basketball season, but he rehabbed the ACL. And came back, like, fewer than nine months later. Like, this guy was dedicated to his rehab. I was told he was, like, getting up at 5 a.m. every day, super dedicated to this rehab. And he got approved to uh, go back to track before he was able to come back to baseball. And because track is in, he's running in a straight line. um, And he was setting state records, school records on on the track um, before he was able to get back into baseball at the beginning of June. Um, I mean, the the tools are unbelievable. Obviously South Dakota is not exactly a baseball hotbed. The competition he's facing is not like it would be in uh, some any other state, I guess, probably. But it's, uh, I mean, the tools are there. The athleticism is there. He is definitely one of my favorites, personal cheese ball for sure. Um, He would be a guy I would want to take, even though the baseball experience is just not there. I feel like you just need, you need to take a chance on those kind of athletes and just see what they can do with some baseball instruction, some, some time to develop around baseball people, um, against higher levels of competition. But yeah, he's obviously, uh, one of my favorites, uh, top of the athleticism list for me.
0: Yeah, and, and Ben, you had mentioned earlier that this, this year's draft class, we have a lot of strong years for non-traditional or, or, or not hotbeds. Um, you mentioned the Northeast, but I think South Dakota, this is maybe the best year ever for South Dakota. I mean, there are multiple players in the BA 500 from that state. Uh, we put our state list out every year, and we have it as a five-star state, which is the highest star rating we can give on our state list. I think Massachusetts was the only other five-star state we had this year. Um, But a lot of the Northeast states had uh, four stars as well. So really good year for, for the North this year. So. uh, I think those are, we hit all the position groups, right? So what are our final grades? Let's go around. I think I'm still gonna, I'll do a 50 on the college pitching. I'll do a 50 on the high school pitching. I'll do a 65 on the high school hitting and I'll do a 30 on the college bats so I think that I think that kind of puts it at, a, at an average class and I, and I don't want to have a grade that's too much higher than average because teams just don't seem to think it's too much better than average this year on the whole um, and I do think while, while we didn't talk about like impact at the top versus depth I think it's certainly stronger this year on depth than top end impact which I think most teams would prefer the latter than the former but what are your guys final grades
1: yeah i think i was um i'm probably gonna i'm gonna like mess up what i said earlier now probably um uh, you can change I grades i you know. sure yeah i mean you probably don't want it want me to um i think i was on the the high school pitching i was high i think i was a 60 um on the high school hitting i think i was uh, 65 um, on the college hitting, I didn't, I didn't want to go too far. I think I gave it like a 35, maybe, <laughs> um, and college pitching. I think I just gave it average as well. So I think that's where I was at.
2: How about you, Ben? Yeah, my sixties were on the high school hitting and high school pitching and then college pitching average college hitting well below average 30, which really, I I think I'd probably put if we're gonna put like a weighted average on it, I I'd probably weight the college hitting grade the the most. Mm-hmm. That so makes I, sense. I think that that would just drag down the overall the overall GPA for these guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: which which would you
0: grade the or which would be weighted the least? Then would it be high school pitching just because of the the risk with it, or, or do you know?
2: Yeah, probably high school. Pitching. I mean, there's just they're like the reality too is just like there are fewer high school players who are going to sign exactly overall. So, I mean, just as far as what I mean, when we line up our the BA 500. We're just ranking it on talent. But the reality is like, oh, there, there's going to be a lot of guys who we have in our top top 100, top 200, mm-hmm. who are high school guys who are just not going to go in the top two rounds or won't get offered top two rounds money and are just going to say, well, I'm going to go to school. And I'm going to prove you guys wrong, and we'll see you in three years.
0: Yep. Yeah, every year it happens after we get through basically like the first half of the third round. Once there are still really high-end high school players on the board, you kind of just assume they're headed to college, and we'll be back in a few years. Um, but with that, I wanted to move into some mock draft talk. We had a staff draft recently that we put on the website that you guys can check out, which was not a mock in in the true sense of what normal mocks are, but it was basically just a few BA staffers pretending um, that we're in charge of scouting departments, which is a horrible idea. Um, But we went through and picked four teams for two rounds. Um, But I wanted to kind of talk about how the first round was shaping up today based on what we're hearing with teams. Um, just a little bit. We're gonna have an updated mock um, potentially when a lot of you guys are listening to this. There will be one available. Um, might not be out yet though, depending on how quick this episode goes up. But this year, what are we hearing at the top of the draft? And it seems like, like Ben was saying earlier, there there is no number one, clear cut, obvious top player in this year's class. And I think just because of that alone, regardless of anything else in this year's draft class, we're looking at a a much more wide open and uncertain first round i think most of the teams that i talked to that are outside of the top 10 have just a massive pool of players that they're still thinking about with their first pick i mean even it it even seems like the pirates who are one one are looking at a wider net of players four days out from the draft than, than you typically would um so i think this has a chance to be all over the board in terms of order it does seem like there is a solid group of eight players that in some capacity are going to be off the board before everyone else. And that's the top eight players we have on the BA 500, which is Jordan Lawler, Marcella Meyer, Jack Leiter, Henry Davis, Kumar Rocker, Khalil Watson, Brady House, and Jackson Job. Um, after that, there are other names that get mentioned pretty consistently. I think the second tier of college hitters have a chance to go off the board well just because that demographic gets pushed up. I don't think it's going to fall too far, but. Ben, do you have any thoughts on like what people should be looking out for as this draft unfolds or, or any thoughts on specific player team matches that you like or anything that you've just been hearing or are interested in for how the draft could unfold in a few days?
2: Yeah, I think the we'll probably see somebody cut some sort of underslot deal significantly within those top top 10 picks. I mean, you have. I mean, Will Taylor is not in our top ten. We, he is in our top thirty, but you have him projected there. I could very, very much see that. That that is some of the, the buzz going around is he could cut an underslot deal and go in the top ten. I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not, but but that is, and and I think we'll see, we'll see some other deals like that happen because there's just not, not a whole lot of. Past the top 10, 15 or so guys, there's there's not a lot of consensus, I think, <laughs> really beyond that range. It really seems like the board opens up in that 15 to 20
0: range. And once we get there, it's kind of just a million different options for teams. But I think the underslotting is is a good call. I think that's something that we we start hearing about every year around this time. And it would be hard to not talk about the Orioles in that regard, because they're a team that just consistently seems to, or, or at least not, not the team, but the people who are running their department now have consistently shown a willingness to take guys further down the board, underslot them, then move some money around later. Um, same group did it with uh, Carlos Correa, I believe it was, uh, with the Astros a few years back. And then last year, obviously, at number two, with what we thought was a clear top two on the board, they took Heston Kerstad, passed on Austin Martin, who we thought was the most obvious, best talent available. Now they're picking at number five. Uh, we've had some some rumors that a guy like Harry Ford could be an underslot candidate for them. So look out for him as a guy who's not kind of in that elite top tier that maybe you could see pushed up into a top 10 pick range for an underslot deal. Um, Benny Montgomery is another guy who's pretty consistently talked about in the teens, um, but we're starting to get some buzz about him potentially going in the top 10. Uh, Bubba Chandler is a guy who I think had some interest from teams in the top 10 who also fits that. And then I think the college hitters that you guys talked about as well. Um, the, the Tyler Blacks and the Trey Sweeney's and the Connor Norbies of the world. It would not surprise me at all if, if one or more of those players wound up going in the first round, because you get to that 15 to 20 range where everything opens up and teams are kind of looking around and you don't see any college bats. And maybe you're a team like the Blue Jays or the Dodgers, and you don't pick until the third round again, and you really just want to get one of these college bats you feel good about. So maybe you underslot one of those guys and try and save some money and, and overslot a guy later on when you get to your your pick in the third round. So those are some names to mention. Uh, Alexis, is there anything that, that you're looking for specifically with this draft? Anything that listeners should, should watch out for or anything that you're just excited about?
1: Uh, I mean, I think this is definitely like the mock draft area is definitely an area I will defer to you guys, um, especially because kind of the area that I have honed in on uh, ahead of this draft doesn't have, uh, it's not overflowing with first round talent, I Mm -hmm. guess I will say, but um, I mean, yeah, obviously, I mean, I, I'm, I'm super excited to see where kind of like, the Jackson Joe, Bubba Chandler um, high school two-way players uh, end up, um, but I don't have any specific like insight into where that will happen. But um, I I am super excited to see how that plays out, particularly with the type of of talent uh, with kind of the breakdown that we talked about earlier with how that plays out. Um, Obviously, High school pitchers are, are high risk, but high rewards. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens there.
0: Another one, another player that I would mention that uh, I'd be curious to see where they fall is is Jordan Wicks, uh, the Kansas state left-handed pitcher. He's the top um, left-handed pitcher in the class, the top college left-handed pitcher, obviously. And I think there's a pretty big gap between him and the next best southpaw in the class. And generally that is a, player type that goes pretty well i think the last few drafts we've had a college left-hander go off the board in the top 15 maybe the top 10 picks i'd have to check double check that to make sure but it, it doesn't seem like wicks is getting a ton of buzz in like that top 10 grouping mostly in kind of the middle of the first round but it wouldn't surprise me at all if on draft day he wound up going a lot higher than where people thought just because I mean, you, you talk about the risk of high school pitchers, Alexis Wicks in many ways is the exact opposite of that. I mean, he's very accomplished. He's got starter traits. He's got a, a really good three pitch mix with a fastball slider and maybe the best changeup in the class. Um, long track record as a starting pitcher with performance. I think his fastball plays up. He's not like this pitchability lefty who's a soft tosser by any means. It's a low 90s fastball, but he's pretty regularly into the mid 90s. So a guy like that, I don't think it's as much talk as obviously the Vanderbilt duo and Ty Madden and even guys like uh, Sam Bachman who just has really electric pier stuff or Will Bednar who just was lights out in the College World Series. But I think Jordan Wicks is a guy you want to keep an eye on and maybe could go a little bit higher than people are thinking right now just because he does check off so many boxes. And if there is a team that feels like they're in a, a pretty good competitive window now, it seems like he could be a pretty fast mover.
1: Yeah, I have definitely had uh, a scout consistently say, like, no matter where we put Jordan Wicks, it's going to be too low. But also, like, that's not a scout for a team who has a pick in the top 10. So it depends how many other people kind of think that, where the consensus is, and who has those picks and what they want to do with them. But, yeah, definitely interested in seeing what, what what ends up happening with Wicks, too.
0: Yeah, and then one team that I kind of wanted to flag that I feel like is going to be really interesting and maybe could change a lot of what happens in the back of the first round or the middle of the first round is the Reds. Uh, every year, it seems like there's a couple of teams who are picking in the middle who, who have a lot of supplemental picks uh, that just inflates their bonus pool and gives them a little bit of muscle to swing around and, and either drop guys down the board that you don't think would get to 17, but you can slide them with an overslot bonus. Or potentially they're a team that could underslot a guy at 17 and really go hard in the comp round they've got uh pick 17 as their first then they pick at 30 um, with a compensation pick and then they also have a supplemental first round pick at 35 and their bonus pool i'm just looking at it now is actually the fourth best in the draft this year so for a team that's picking 17 that has more money than everyone but the pirates rangers and tigers I really feel like they could move the board around in their favor if they chose to and i think they're a team that just watch out for them in the draft when they're picking i feel like they could they could do a lot of interesting things and, and really change what teams behind them and even right in front of them are able to do just because of that financial muscle they have to throw around um are, are there any teams you guys think really are in a position where they have to crush this draft or, or this draft is just really important for them um whether because they've had a, a a couple years of drafting poorly, or because their farm system is not great. I mean, it seems obvious that all the teams at the top really want to crush it. Because whenever you're you're picking up top, you want to do well. And I guess for every team, it's not like people are trying to do poorly in the draft. But Ben, is there any team that you're kind of looking at and saying this is a, a really important draft for them?
2: In the Rangers picking, like you just said, they have one of the biggest bonus pools. They have the second overall pick in the draft. When they have picked high in the draft before they haven't taken advantage of it and their farm system is, is okay. I mean, there's some, there's some good depth to it and, and, you know, they got a couple guys at, at the top there and, and Jung and, and Cole Wynn is doing really well right now, but um, it's not a good major league team. And it's not a great farm system. So they, they really have an opportunity to, to add some impact players to their system and especially picking second overall. And again, it's, it's not like that's it's not like, there's two obvious standout guys who are at the head of this class where it's like, all right, well, the pirates are going to take the the best guy and, and it'll make our decision almost easier for us. No, like there's, <laughs> there's a good, like five or six guys who who they're going to have to sort out between you know, whether it's Meyer, Lawler, Watson, Leiter, Rocker, Job, House, whoever, um, it's, it's not going to be an easy decision to make, but I think there's a lot riding on, on it for them. And it's again, it's, it's not a good major league team. They haven't been good for a long time. And, and the farm system is, is just OK. So I, I think this is a really, really important draft for them. What, what
0: I find interesting about them, too, is that it, it seems like over the last few years, there's been a little bit of a philosophy shift with the type of players they target. I mean, previously, mm-hmm. the, the Rangers were the team that it was almost how the Padres draft now. They just go after really high upside high school players, aren't too concerned with, with riskier profiles. In the last two years, at pick eight overall in 2019 and pick 14 in 2020... They took almost the exact opposite of that and very safe college performers and Josh Young and Justin Foscu. And I'm curious if that's more of a function of where they were picking and the players available, or if that really is like a a pretty significant philosophy, philosophical shift in, in what they're doing as a scouting department. Because at two this year, they could go either way. I mean, if they want the college performer, the safer profile, they've got Lighter, they've got Henry Davis there, who, who both make sense on talent at that pick but you also have all these high school shortstops who make sense there so I'm curious and, and I think it does get it's a little bit maybe misleading at times to read into the players that teams take and, and kind of try to put that as their philosophy because a lot of times you're just given the players you're given and your best player on the board happens to just be in that demographic and maybe maybe a narrative is put on you that doesn't really belong there but I am curious to see what kind of route they take this year
2: I think it is. I think it is something of a shift within the organization of kind of moving a little bit away from the, the raw athlete, big tool, like, you know, like the Lewis Brinson, you know, Joey Gallo would, would have been in that same camp as a, as a high school player. Obviously it worked out in, in that instance, but I, I think you are seeing them shift more toward the, the you know, the more advanced. you know, whether it's high school or college, just, just guys who are, a little bit more, a little bit more hitterish, right? Like so, like Khalil Watson. I wouldn't be surprised if if he ended up going second overall, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm sure it would piss off just about every Rangers fan who would want him to take either Jack Leiter or the local guy <laughs> and Jordan Waller, right? Like if he's still, if those guys are, are still on the board, but Khalil Watson has, I think, really good bat to ball skills. Can mm-hmm. you know can handle the you know the middle infield and it's got a lot of bat speed and and there's some power in there from you know not that huge of a or not that tall of a guy at least so uh that's somebody I, I could easily see being a fit for for them where yeah you know it's you know high school guy maybe think of it as more risk than a college player but it, it he seems to I, mm-hmm. I mean I have heard him connected to them but I've also heard some of these other names connected to him too mm-hmm. but he also seems to fit a lot of the attributes that they are are valuing right now
0: He also seems like a a kind of perfect blend of both worlds for them because he is a very impressive hitter and you you feel good about his hit tool and his power, but he also has pretty exceptional tool set, athleticism and an upside as well. I mean, you could argue Khalil has the biggest upside in this class and it would be a a perfectly fine argument. Um, Alexis, are there any teams that jump out to you that you're interested in in watching or, or anything that we've been talking about that you want to chime in on?
1: Um, yeah, I guess like in a completely different uh, vein, I'm, I'm interested in kind of seeing, you know, what the Padres do this draft, they got rid of a lot of uh, top prospects last year, they traded a lot of guys away. Um, I wouldn't say they have like the same pressure on them. And they also have one of the smallest bonus pools. But I'm definitely interested to see what happens to see where those guys end up on the top prospects list. Once they land in that organization, just because of all the guys that they they traded away last year. Um, so I would say they're probably at the top of my like watch list for the draft.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting about San Diego as well is in since 2016, they've been picking in the top 10. Uh this year their first pick doesn't come until pick twenty-seven. So are they still going to target these same? And, and it's not like in previous drafts, they've ignored high upside high school players outside of the first round. But I do think you're, you're just dealing with a different player type when you're picking at the back of the first round than the, the players you can get at the top. I mean, there are no CJ Abrams or Robert Hassels or McKenzie Gores or Ryan Weathers that you're going to be picking from at the back. So does that change the player type they go after and does their competitive window now Does it make more sense for them to go for a college player? I don't know. I generally think that you just take the best player available and the competitive window will figure itself out. But I do think that's an interesting conversation to have with them and also with Boston, who who is a much better team than you typically have for the team picking fourth in the draft class. I mean, as we sit here today, Boston has the third best record in baseball and they're picking fourth overall. Um, I'm sure that Boston is going to be eyeing player who can move a little bit quicker than most teams would in the top five i don't know why that wouldn't be the case considering their big league roster and what they have available now ben do you have anything on on either of these or anything else you want to touch on
2: yeah I mean, i think if you are i mean if, if you are a player and you're a top 10 caliber player or top five caliber player and you're just looking at who <laughs> who's picking there i mean isn't Boston the team that you probably most want to play for? I mean, obviously there's other organizational factors, development mm. philosophies. Uh, Boston is, I mean, I'm a Boston area resident. Boston is not for everybody. You're biased, right? Ben. You're biased. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, there, like there's, there's some players that just, Yeah, uh, it's like, it's like New York, right? Like or or Los Angeles. There's some people that are just not going to be a good fit for <laughs> playing for for that city or fans in that city. So all right, it's it's not everything, but I, I think it's I think it's a very appealing organization to want to play for for a lot of people, certainly relative to some of these other organizations <laughs> that are picking which specifically in, Ben in this range. I mean <laughs> all like the do the pirates have any? I mean it's I understand it's a lot of new people there but you're yeah. going to be playing for a, a bad franchise and they're not going to be competitive for a while and you know especially look like if you're Jack Lighter or Kumar Rocker or Henry Davis you know it's it's different if you're a high school player because you're probably not going to be there for you know in a perfect world three years and it's probably going to be more than that whereas Leiter and Rocker could be there I mean I don't know if if Jack Lighter if the Red Sox pick Jack Lighter, is it inconceivable that he could help them in the playoffs this no. year. I mean, I don't, I think, don't so. think you don't think so.
0: I don't think it's inconceivable. Oh, I think right. that would make sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I tricked you with my phrasing. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I could, I'm not saying he will necessarily, mm. but I mean, we saw Garrett Crochet do it Yep. for the white Sox, I mean, do we think Garrett Crochet is so much more advanced than Jack lighter? I, I I don't think he is at all. Like, I think Jack no. lighter is probably, better than him so i'm not saying he should go out and be their, you know game two starter in the playoffs or anything but i, mm-hmm. I do think he it's possible that again or, or conceivable that he could he could help him this year and, and if not this year then i think he's very much in the 2022 picture so mm-hmm. if i'm jack lighter and and jack lighter is from new jersey i don't know what his you know allegiance is as a fan growing well, up. Well, the Yankees probably...
0: drafted him out of high school, so we would have a really good rivalry between Yankees <laughs> fans and Boston fans if, if the Red Sox drafted him this year and actually signed him. So that would Yeah,
2: be yeah, I mean, I imagine his dad had some influence on <laughs> on that too, but you know, yeah, also just yeah. being in the Northeast, having family closer by, uh, I'm sure that doesn't hurt either. So if, if I'm Jack Leiter, um, I might be saying, "Hey, like if if the Red Sox really like me, how can I push myself down maybe to mm-hmm to the Red Sox and, and get, you know, squeeze some more money out of them and and put myself in a better situation to get to the big leagues faster too. Yep.
0: Alexis, anything to add to that? Or are we going to move on to something else? No, I mean,
1: that was just kind of, I mean, that specific scenario was not even something I kind of thought about lighter Red Sox. And I Mm -hmm. mean, it's just interesting to, uh, I, I too, think it is not inconceivable or (laughs) conceivable, as it were, but I I think it's super interesting. It's just something I hadn't really thought about.
0: Yeah, another team, I guess, before we move on to another topic, and maybe we'll take a a quick break after this, is just the Dodgers, I think, are always a team to watch out for because they consistently show that they're very good at this. They know what they're doing. They're always picking at the back of the first round, and they always seem to – either hit on players or the players they take. They're just really good at, at maximizing what they're able to do. So just, I think they're interesting because of that any year, but this year too, the Dodgers, as well as the Blue Jays, just teams that are picking later in the first and don't have a pick uh, in the second round. I think those are the only two. I mean, we haven't talked about the Astros at all, but I don't know for a draft preview, we really need to with the team that doesn't have two first round picks or, or two, a first and a second round pick, I should say. Um, but those two teams, I mean, the Red Sox last year had probably the most surprising pick and they were in a situation where they were picking in the first round and then not again until the third. So it wouldn't be surprising if either of these teams had a pick that was surprising on the surface, but makes sense when you kind of look at the rest of their, their draft class. So those two teams, I would just say, uh, are also interesting further down the board.
2: Yeah, um, Bobby Miller. I was gonna say Bobby Miller mm-hmm. with the Dodgers. Their first round pick out of Louisville already getting really good reviews. Yeah, it just seems like every year they they hit on guys. Like,
0: if you were going to pick a team that does this the best, it, it'd probably be the Dodgers uh, would be your first pick, I would imagine. And and that's why they've consistently picked at the back of the first round in the last few years. So,
1: I mean, for every guy on on the list, where I'm like, like this is a guy with some question marks. So this is a guy where like I don't know where he fits in. Or like if you look at like a Spencer Schwallenbach, like what do you do with him and he hasn't pitched that much like then it's like well if the Dodgers get him I have full confidence that that will work out like it's, it's just like I never have a question in my mind like if I have a question before then I'm like well if the Dodgers take him I don't have any questions anymore like this yeah just go yeah. for yeah
0: <laughs> I think it's it's a real testament to what they've been doing that you hear when you have conversations with scouts from from other teams they'll say that they'll say yeah this guy like would really like him if he got to a team like the Dodgers. Like I can't imagine if you're a scouting department and a player development department, like any higher compliment than, than other scouts kind of saying that about your organization. So um, we don't have to wax any longer about the Dodgers. We'll take a quick break. <laughs> We've been going for uh, a little over an hour here, but we'll get back for a few more things and to jump into some listener questions, but thank you all for listening and we'll be right back. And we're back, everybody. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, got a few more things we want to, touch on and then dive into listener questions again we have a lot so thank you guys for sending those in and if you do want to send us any questions for future episodes or just in general you can at future pro pod on twitter you can at ben badler on twitter or carlos a collazo and i think uh ben is the same on instagram as he is on twitter correct me if i'm wrong ben
2: yeah i use the same name okay
0: um so with there being no clear top prospect in this year's draft we thought it would be interesting to talk through who each of us would take if we had the number one overall pick and and maybe this is the least interesting for me because I had the number one pick in our staff draft and I chose Jordan Lawler Uh, so anyone who read that already knew that he's kind of my guy and I think Lawler has been my guy throughout the process but just really quick to to give my explanation for him I I just like the all-around tool set I think if you grade him out compared to the other high school shortstops in this class there's his weakest tool is probably better than every other player's weakest tool in their tool set and i just really like that that kind of safety of the all-around profile and it's hard for me to forget just how impressive he was on the showcase circuit it seemed like he was consistently one of the best players and that really speaks to me um I think it's it's between Lawler and Meyer for me, just because I really do buy into Meyer's upside as a hitter. But at the end of the day, I think Lawler's all-around tool set um, really is the tiebreaker. But Alexis, let's go to you second. Who would your number one pick be if you were running a scouting department and had to make the call?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's so tough. I, I think in the end, I think I would also go Lawler, but I am – also super excited about Meyer I and I am a big fan of Khalil Watson um I don't know that I would go number one but I am just like I I really think like if you're a team that has a pick in in the top 10 like you you would have a really really tough time going wrong um although I mean we'll see what happens there (laughs) prove me wrong prove me wrong but, I mean, I, it's just such an exciting group of players up top. I still think I would stick with Lawler. I think that's what I've said in our kind of, like, staff surveys kind of the whole way through um, this season. But Lawler's super exciting. Uh, Myers super exciting. I'm also really looking forward to obviously seeing where Jackson Joe ends up and Khalil Watson. Um, those guys I think are – are among um, just the very top of my list, even though obviously I have nothing against like the Jack lighters mm-hmm. and hate college Rodgers players and is basically Davis. what you're yeah. saying. That, since You're out on college, <laughs> yeah. Give me all the high school athleticism and absolutely nothing else. See how it goes.
0: How about you, Ben? I don't know if there's any short hitters you can take here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I, I would be, I'd be very tempted to take Marcelo Meyer with the first pick. Cause I, I love him. I think he's just, everything is just so smooth. So easy at the plate, very hitterish in the box, very smooth actions in the field. I don't think he's as explosive as Jordan Lawler on defense, but I think he has a really good internal clock, really good hands. Uh, I think he has the arm strength for the position reads the ball. Well, off the bat uh, but obviously with him it's especially the, about about the offense the really sweet left-handed swing he hit for power this year in in high school and I think there's a lot of strength projection left in his frame I mean you hear the Corey Seeger comparisons for him I think that we got frankly it's I think that's the type of player he could become but if I had the first overall pick I I would take Jack Leiter I mean when we're when he signs I think he's gonna be I mean Grayson Rodriguez is the best pitching prospect in baseball right now and you know I like I like Luis Patino a lot we're hearing tremendous things about George Kirby right now with the Mariners but I think jack Leiter is going to stack up right there uh right underneath those guys or, or mm-hmm. right or right among the best pitching prospects in baseball i think he's pretty close to being major league ready for especially for a guy who hasn't had that much actual college yeah. experience but he I, everything looks like it's going to play and and play at a very uh high level against major league hitters it's it's a really big fastball there's a lot of life to it to miss bats i think he has a secondary stuff to rack up a lot of strikeouts too he, he generally throws strikes has so a pretty good feel for mm. pitching obviously bloodlines it's you know no shortage of of uh i mean he's not a junior but no shortage of sons of big leaguers having an impact at the major league level but i mean even that aside just just the talent that he brings mm. I'd have a hard time passing up on him with the number one overall pick. So I'd go with Jack Leiter. Nice. All
0: right. we got. I'm glad we didn't all just say Lawler because it's always more fun. (laughs) We have a little bit of variety. But um, Alexis, it's good to know that that you chose right and
1: Ben Ben chose (laughs) wrong. Of course, of course. (laughs) But our staff has been pretty consistently split throughout this entire season, throughout everything. I don't think we've never had a consensus, even among our Baseball America staff, which is – uh
0: fun too yeah i'm honestly glad it was the case because it it just it tracks with everything we're hearing from teams i mean there's there's no consensus among teams i mean this is not the year you would choose to pick number one um i think we've had people in our staff just just thinking back through it people who have liked lighter people who like lawler i know i think kyle um prefers meyer and that makes sense with him being out on the west coast um trying to see if we've had any other votes for number one i think those are probably pretty consistently the the three that get the most number one credits um you'll definitely find others but but those three I think are probably most likely put at the top but it, it's not surprising if I mean I've still talked to the people who like Kamar better than Lighter for various reasons so it's just a jumbled group at the top it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds and and Ben as you were talking about Lighter one kind of maybe a little more granular thing I wanted to mention was that both for him and rocker, I'm really excited to see how their changeup usage ticks up in pro ball, because I think both of these guys have shown really good changeups at times, but don't really throw those pitches a lot in college. And that makes sense when you got fastballs and breaking balls as good as them. I understand why college coaches. I think that's every
1: pitcher on this whole draft list too.
0: Yeah, it really is (laughs) outside of like
1: Wicks.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think Wicks is the only one. And there, there are a few, guys who like actually use their changeup more than 20% of the time, but it's very rare just generally for college pitchers to do that. Uh, and I think Ty Madden would be another guy who I throw into that, who I think has a good changeup, but just never uses it. So I'm, I'm always a sucker for guys who actually throw changeups, but college is not where we get that. So uh, now that we've talked through number one players, are there any sleepers you guys have that are further down the board that we haven't talked about? Obviously, in a podcast, we can't cover every single player, but do you guys have any players a little bit further down the board who maybe aren't going to be first rounders, but are players who uh, either do things are excited about or have exciting tool sets or, or just players you have found yourself really being drawn to, despite being a little bit further down the board. Um, again, if you guys want to read a post on this, we do have an 11 sleepers to know post on the website today uh, as we record on Thursday. So that is there for you to read. Um, but Alexis, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Um, any people jump out further down the board for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody everybody who knows me knows that I would go very Canadian um, with, I mean, any any option where I'm given a choice, I'm probably gonna go Canadian, but for the sleepers, um, that's definitely where, where I'm leaning. Um, on the high school side, I think Cal Ziegler has a chance Um, to go kind of above where we have him in the list. That's where he's landed, obviously, um, talent-wise. But, I mean, I think Canadian high schoolers, first of all, have had a really tough time this year. Um, They haven't been able to play at home. Uh, In Canada, we are under very strict pandemic protocols, uh, still ongoing. Um, We haven't had the same vaccination opportunities. Uh, We are starting to get there. But for Canadian high schoolers, these guys have had to leave home, um, they didn't get the year of development last year and a lot of them didn't get the chance really to leave home either until this year. I mean, it is an expensive endeavor. Your parents got to pay for you to go if you're under 18 or you need to pay for a rental car. Your parent has to come with you. Um, there are a lot of complications for these Canadian high schoolers. And I think that because of that, even the guys who've gone to the States and who've gone to play like Cal Ziegler, he went to Florida at Academy, Mitchell Bratt. He went to Georgia. Elijah Hamill went to Georgia with him. Adam Shoemaker just recently went to the States. Um, I think for those guys, it's also complicated. And they have moved maybe down the list a little bit because there are different scouts seeing them than the scouts who have seen them along the way. So we're not always getting the same kind of level of maybe excitement or where they might fall. So I might talk to a Canadian scout who I know really well who hasn't seen Calvin Ziegler in basically a year and a half? But I don't talk to all the Florida scouts, so I don't know where he sits among those guys. But now he's among the Florida guys. But this is a guy, Cal Ziegler is where I'll start, and I won't go too far on Canada, but he's a guy who, I mean, he's throwing in the upper 90s. This is something we have not seen from a Canadian high schooler in decades. Like when Mike Sirocco was in high school, he was throwing ninety four. Mm. When Filippo O'Mont was in high school, he was getting into the upper 90s, but he was probably still 96, 97. Mm. Um, if we're talking Eric Sarantola, uh, who I think also is maybe a sleeper, but Eric Sarantola, when he was in high school, he maxed out at 96. Cal Ziegler is topping all of those guys. This is something that, is, that does not happen in Canada. Landon Leach, he was throwing 96. That was a huge deal. So, I mean, Cal Ziegler doesn't have a whole lot of projection, but he is already throwing hard. He has shown improvements in being able to throw strikes, which was a big knock on him early on. Mm-hmm. He is young. He's a kind of a, I don't know what you guys call it in the States, but he's a victory lapper um, in high school this? here, but he's still 18. So you take an extra year of high yeah, school. Yeah, 20, we're okay. going
2: to have to Yeah, we need,
0: okay. we need the translation on that yeah. one. <laughs>
1: what do you guys call that?
0: Vic, a victory lap. I don't think we have a term for yeah, it. So a, what? What is? What does that mean? Lab. You take. You take another <laughs> you take year in back, high school.
1: So yeah. So like you
2: reclassify.
1: You're a, you're a second year, senior, or whatever in high school. We don't call them seniors, but I think. Oh, so know. why?
0: Why is that common in Canada?
1: Uh, because Canada's high school system uh, previously, like Mm -hmm. uh, before I was in high school, which also was many, many years ago, (laughs) um, had had a a grade 13. So we don't call it like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. We call it grade nine, 10, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. But there was a grade 13. That was that was just what you did in Canada. Mm -hmm. So they stopped having that as like a, a kind of like a mandatory programming, and now so now it's just called like a victory lap, I guess. If we're trying okay. to be nice and give it gotcha. a colloquialism, so I like Calvin Ziegler vict- victory lapper, but he's still eighteen. Like his birthday's super late; he was seventeen last year, um, and he obviously wants to play baseball. Um, he's committed to Auburn, but for him, I mean, I'm super excited about that. Uh, I think, in terms of where he comes from, and and just among the guys that I think he's comparable to in the past. Um, it's, it's exciting. It could make a difference. I don't know how that's going to be gauged in a draft room where you have Canadian scouts who haven't seen this guy in a year and a half. And you have a guy, a Florida scout who has a billion exciting Florida players. I don't know yeah. how that plays out, but
2: Do you, um,
1: I'm looking forward to seeing.
0: You were talking about him just compared to some of the other Canadian pitchers who, who just don't throw this hard. Is it a stretch to say he's like the hardest throwing Canadian high schooler that, that you're aware of? Is there anyone even from many years ago that comes Uh, to mind?
1: Definitely like gotten it up higher than anyone I'm aware of. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I was trying to think back, like, I don't know what Eric Gagne was throwing in high school. I don't think it was 98, 99, but um, I mean, even, I think like Eric Sarantola, obviously like he's thrown Mm -hmm. triple digits in Sarantola in high school uh, three years ago he was he was starting 96 mm-hmm. um, so I obviously I think it's different it's a different body there's a different projectability there um, Sarantola had more room to grow obviously mm-hmm. like he's a 6'5 guy he's a skinnier guy um, Ziegler doesn't have that same projectable frame but mm-hmm. I mean yeah I would say it's super exciting so It's just not something you you get to see in Canada a lot and I think it's been well underplayed and undervalued because of just the situation we're in um, especially in Canada and with guys leaving and just not getting the normal people, seeing them who would see them. Um, and then, I mean, I guess I will go straight to Eric Sarantola too. I think he's a bit of a sleeper just because he uh, I mean, obviously he wasn't coming into this. He was he, on our first draft list. Like he was uh, top 100 he's dropped, but I think, there's also just some I'm excited to see what can happen Eric Sarantola also just like a hard throwing guy six five Mm -hmm. right hander has gotten it into triple digits just played himself out of um, a spot at Mississippi State this year which is super unfortunate but when you go to school that is a a school that needs to win and you just don't have a lot of rope so I think in pro ball Eric Sarantola gets a little more rope gets a little more development it's development over winning for a while and I think he he, he's someone who I am super excited to see what the future holds for too
0: yeah Sarantola just with his fastball and and curveball I mean the curveball might be the best curve in this year's draft class so just in terms of two pitches there's it's hard to top just two better pitches in one pitcher than him. I think Bachman would be probably the other
2: guy you point to, but that's a good one, Alexis. Uh, ben,
0: we'll go to you for a couple, and then we can get back to you, Alexis, if you have
2: more. Well, who would be the – I a question for Alexis. So who would be the signing scouts for these Canadian players when they're tra- – because, like, so, like, James Wood, obviously he's from Maryland, but he's at IMG Academy in Florida. So it's not – you know, your mid-Atlantic scout is <laughs> not going to be the – signing scout there but for all these canadian guys when they do sign who've been out of the country all year how are are teams going to do that do you know
1: uh yeah i think from from i don't know if all teams are going to do the same thing i don't know what all teams are going to do but from some people who i've talked to um they're just going to be kind of dual signing scouts or it will fall back to the canadian scout i mean those are the guys who kind of have done the home visits um, with last year uh, for some of these guys like Ziegler. Um, they've been the guys who've developed the relationships and especially, um, I mean, Canada's kind of, I mean, we're just, uh, I'll say it. I'm one of them. We're a weird breed of people. We have this weird sense of, uh, of pride in, especially in the Canadian baseball community. So, Um, I think it's either going to be like dual signing scouts or it'll fall back to to the the scout who covers Canada. Um, It is a very tight knit community. It is uh, different from from most other places. I will call it weird. We are a little um, territorial. So I would say that that uh who i the people who i've talked to it's either going to be dual signing scout or it's going to fall back to the yeah alexis
0: tried to fight me when i was going to write up potential canadians so they're <laughs> definitely territorial
1: <laughs> i stole all those reports i was <laughs> like these are these are my guys i fought over the canada list i was like we can't put these guys on the florida <laughs> list the georgia list these are these are my guys we love the passion i'm completely biased
2: <laughs> no i couldn't tell from what i mentioned tyler black as the guy that i liked, so <laughs> that was not obvious at all you,
1: you mentioned tyler black in the u.s college national team in the same breath tyler like, black
2: noted american baseball player <laughs> <laughs> that's right so how deep that would to my ego so, so so what's the cutoff for a sleeper like outside of top i don't know 150 or so whatever you or? want it to be ben all right well although, uh i like rock riggio okay it's A-plus a plus name uh, guess what guys breaking short hitter yeah <laughs> He's a, and another good hitter. I mean, I think he fits into. I mean, left-handed hitter, but you know, this this that same mold of like Norby and Black and some of these other hitterish guys who I think project best at at second base. And I think I, I think he's getting a little bit undervalued because he just doesn't have he doesn't have other tools that are that hmm. big, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't run that well. He doesn't. Th- it's not like a big arm. It's not crazy power. I think there's some sneaky power for his size, but I think it's a really good swing. It's, it's short, compact, fluid, good path through the hitting zone. I think he tracks and recognizes pitch as well. And he's not a shortstop at the next level. I don't see him as a center fielder. He's played some infield and outfield, but I like his defensive ability at, at second base. And, and most of all, I really like his bat. And I think he probably ends up going to school and in three years, we'll be talking about him like these guys are or, or like a Cody Morris set at Boston college. I think there's some, there's some similarities there. Obviously more set a, a bigger, longer frame guy than, than Riggio, but uh, you know, California um, you know, infielder slash outfit, I think probably second base at, at the next level, but I, I really believe in, in his bat. And then another guy, again, also, you're going to choose
0: Dalen Lyle now.
2: No, They're short no, no. left-handed hitter. <laughs> no, we're going to go, we're going to go with the uh, Roman Kimball. We'll keep it short though with, uh, with Roman Kimball, not a big guy. He is very young for the class. I believe he's still 17 years old, but very athletic and bouncy, like a point guard playing like, like a point guard pitching. Like he's just really, really good athlete, really quick arm, even though he's not that big. I I just see the, the arm speed and there is more strength projection there where I think there is more room to project on his fastball growing and, and getting more velocity in the coming years. And I think he has really good feel for spin on his breaking ball too. So I think he's a good pitcher now with a lot of good projection arrows and indicators pointing in the right direction for him too. Awesome.
0: Uh, I'm going to take a couple of Georgia college players. I think Georgia in general is a a stronger area for high school players. And you guys have named a couple of interesting high school players, but one guy that I I consistently come back to and really like is uh, Troy center fielder, Logan Cerny. I think if, if you just grade the tools out, he really compares well to guys like Judd Fabian or Christian Franklin or Isaiah Thomas outfielders who have played in the sec and maybe have a little bit more attention on them. But Cerny is a, a real double plus runner. He's got above average power in the bat a uh, chance for plus uh, defense in center field and had a really strong year this spring. Uh, but it was in the Sun Belt. He had 15 homers, stole 12 bags. Uh, the question with him is strikeout rate. <clears throat> And I think it's similar to a lot of these other uh, SEC outfielders that I kind of lumped him in with. A lot of these guys have swing and miss questions. But if he is uh, able to make an adjustment and make a little bit more contact at the next level or just keep tapping into power at the rate he did in college, which is certainly um, not something you should just expect moving forward, I think if he he hits at all, he's got a chance to be a really good player because of the power-speed combo and center field profile. So he's one that I like. And then a pitcher out of Georgia I really like, um, and he might be undervalued just because he got hurt, is Ryan Webb, the left-handed pitcher at Georgia. And I think he also probably is a little bit undervalued just because he hasn't started a ton this year. He was going to enter the season and and transition to a full-time starting role for Georgia after Emerson Hancock and Cole Wilcox were drafted a year ago. Um, But I saw him in person last year at the beginning of the season when I went to go see Emerson Hancock. And he came in in relief for, for Emerson, was a better pitcher in that game. And I think that game specifically put him on a lot of radars last year because he was eligible a year ago. Um, but he showed a really impressive four pitch mix for a college reliever that a lot of teams just figured would play well in a starting role at the next level. And over the next two years, I guess the rest of the shortened season, and then he started 11 games this year, his, his season got started slow because of, I think COVID stuff. Um, and then he also had an elbow injury that ended his season, but really good strikeout and walk rates. Uh, he improved his curveball. It's a probably a solid average fastball from the left side, but just the fact that he hasn't started a ton, but when he has pitched, he's been really good. Um, and just the overall pitch mix. I really like pretty much everything about him. So if a team can, can get past the elbow injury, I think he has a chance to be a really good pitcher. Uh, so those are the two for me. Um, wanted to circle back and make sure you guys had a chance to throw out any others if you have them. But, Alexis and Ben, do you want to throw out any more or do
1: you think that's good? I'll pick one non Canadian. We talked about Chase Mason earlier, and like this is me in a totally hypothetical situation, uh, just picking based on tools. Obviously, yeah, this guy hasn't it. done enough to prove himself, but. I mean, it's a plus run tool. It's a plus arm. It's like a plus plus power tool. His power Um, at the combine
0: was just insane to see. (laughs) Like when he stepped into the box and I mean, he definitely has a Josh. I was there with Josh Norris and he called it an elevate and celebrate kind of swing. And it definitely is what it is. Um, but it, it was fun to watch him hit man.
1: Yeah. He's a workhorse. He's an athlete. I mean, there's, uh, I, I think I'd probably throw him out there because like, I hope he's asleep, but like, I hope he's a guy that goes higher than we where we put him. I hope he's a guy who somebody takes a chance on the tools. I hope that's what he chooses to, to do. But I think, um, yeah, I can't, I got to name one non-Canadian just to, to, to fuel the fire, I guess.
0: <laughs> Love it. Well, he's close to the Canadian border. At least so you don't have to go too far from home.
1: 100%. Ben, Ben, do you have South any others? Is our jam. <laughs>
2: I don't know if I don't know if Peter Hubeck would qualify for this one. Um but I do like I do like him
1: mm-hmm.
2: quite a bit. It's just another guy with a really, really fast arm. I think there's he's like 6'2, 6'3. He's pretty skinny, almost to the point where I don't know how much weight he is going to gain on or, or hold onto that frame of his, but I just I look at the arm speed. I see more physical projection. It's He already throws, you know, sits low 90s, can touch, I think, 95 or so, uh, and, and really good feel for his off-speed stuff, too. I, I saw a really good changeup from him last summer. I think most people consistently have seen, and I think he probably would agree, is his, his curveball is his best pitch. It's got tight spin, good shape on it. So uh, I see a lot of really good components with him, both in terms of the the present stuff, the, the three pitch mix and and the projection for it to get better and, and miss a lot of bats too.
0: Great. We got a lot of good names there. Uh, thank you guys for breaking those down. Um, I guess we can jump into a few questions here unless I'm missing something. Is there anything else that we wanted to touch on before we get into questions, guys? we good. Yeah. Let's go to the mailbag. All right. The listener mailbag, which is potentially the biggest one we've ever had. So again, thank you guys for sending these in, but we'll just go through them. Um, Garov on Twitter asks, best pure prep bat in the draft? We'll start with that one. He's got a couple more, but if you guys had to pick the best pure hitter, best prep pure bat in the draft, that's how he phrases it. Who do you go with? Uh, Ben, we'll go with you first.
2: I'll go with Marcelo Meyer. Uh, I think you could put Khalil Watson in there too, and Mm -hmm. And I think Brady House is going to hit it. It's more, he just has more physicality and strength right now than the other guys, which I think he's, which has helped him, I think, perform at a really Mm -hmm. high level. But I think as far as just pure hitting ability, uh, ability to hit, get on base, I would, I would go with Marcelo Meyer. Okay. Alexis?
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to make an argument, uh, a strong argument against that. But I, I mean, I, I will definitely throw throw my hat in the Khalil Watson ring too. Okay. Um, yeah, very, very excited about Khalil Watson's bet.
0: Yeah, I think those are both the the guys you would point to. I'll go with Meyer, but uh, I think you guys are both on it. Uh, best pure college bat in the draft. Ben we will go with you. Uh... Uh, it's telling about this year's draft class that this question is a lot harder to answer. I will go with Colton Kowser. I think there are a number of guys who fit and and are probably pretty close. Uh, But just seeing Colton Kowser as an underclassman of the team USA, like he, he very much is a pure hitter who is starting to just kind of naturally tap into power, I think. Um, And again, if he was playing in a bigger conference, I think he would be talked about in a different way, but I think just the pure swing, uh, his feel for the barrel his plate discipline uh, I'll I'll say Cowser and then my second pick would have probably been South Frelick just cuz I think he has he does a lot of those things well but I think Cowser's plate discipline maybe separates him a little bit for me
2: yeah i'd probably go with either Cowser or, or Frelick and like i think Frelick has really good hand eye coordination really good bat to ball skills and then the it's, he's a 70 runner so that speed and mm-hmm. just, you know Kind of slashing the ball into the turf sometimes at BC uh, allows him to leg out some infield singles and stretch some singles into doubles at times, so uh, that helps him. So I, yeah, I think one of those two guys is probably the the right call. Alexis,
1: yeah, you guys have way better feeling on that than I do, and I mean, um, <laughs> nobody else is <laughs> so, jumping out sounds at me good to, to, to jump that list.
0: And then his last question was, which one of those two would you take with your draft pick? I know we talked about more than two, but I think pretty easy for me that i would take the high school players yeah i'd take any of those high school guys first yep we're on the same page there all right um rob dale asks or he says we all know the college world series wouldn't really change much in the top 10 but would rocker getting rocked really not change any minds um do you guys have any thoughts on this i don't think for me i think that it, it Kumar has done maybe more than any other pitcher in this year's class to establish himself and, and prove that, that he can pitch in big games and that he can miss bats at a high level. I, I think there, it would be hard to find a pitcher who has done more to prove himself in college than Rocker. So I don't think necessarily that a bad outing or an outing that wasn't up to his expectations would be enough to change everything that he's done prior to this in his previous years at Vanderbilt, winning a College World Series for them. I mean, the game at Duke, obviously, is just outstanding and and everything they did in high school. So I I really don't think it should change your mind too much, one bad outing. That's
1: kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think one bad out. I mean, I guess it can stick with you. Like For me, um, I guess just because I was there in person, like Rocker's uh, Rockers time with the U.S. uh, under-18 team in Mm -hmm. Thunder Bay, uh, in 2017 at the World Junior Championship, uh, Thunder Bay's in Canada, for all those who didn't know that, um, I think, like, Rocker even still, those performances stand out to me now, so I do think if, I mean, and they weren't, they, they weren't bad, I mean, he obviously, <laughs> that team was loaded, uh, it was an unbelievable pitching staff, uh, 2017, that under-18 um, team for Team USA, but uh, I do, I guess things can like stick out in your mind, but I think you're right. He's proved over time that if it is one bad outing or if it's one something that's going on, yeah, maybe you question it, but yeah, I don't think there's any way, unless it's consistent, if it's a, some kind of pattern, I don't think you, you rule them out.
2: Yeah, I think people will be anchored to whatever their priors were going into that start for him, where if you really, we're a big believer in rocker. You'll say, well, all right, it was just one bad start. And if you were more skeptical, you're going to say, all right, see, that's this is right. We're right. This is why we're a little bit lower on him.
1: Confirmation bias. Just yeah. use it to, to fuel whatever <laughs> you need it to
0: fuel. Uh, let's see. Going through these. Um, we've got a lot here to get through. Uh SF Draft Talk on Twitter asks, Do you expect any more Josh hartle Lorenzo Carrier announcements from now until Sunday? Um, and I'm a little surprised we haven't had one already, another one. And to be clear, I don't think Josh Hartle, Josh Hartle said on Twitter that he was going to honor his his commitment and go to Wake Forest. He has not withdrawn from the draft in the same way that Lorenzo Carrier has. Lorenzo Carrier couldn't be selected by a team. Um, but teams are still free to choose Joshua Hartle if they want. But we've seen this in the past few years. Dylan Cruz was a guy who withdrew his name from the draft right before it. So I, I think we could see a couple. I don't really know that I, I get why high school players do that at all, because it's not a situation where like you commit to the draft. Now you have to go. I mean, you can get drafted and not sign and still go to college. So I, I don't really understand the rationale unless they just know that I guess maybe to give their college team a little bit of peace of mind and to, to solidify things there. Maybe that is, is the benefit, but I'm not sure. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Just in general? I think it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> ben, I think
1: it's, I think it's a weird thing to do. I, I, do too. I mean, I, 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 I just don't, I don't, don't see anything, anything but
0: downside for, for the high school players specifically, I guess that was
2: how I'd phrase it.
1: Yeah. I don't see any benefit to
2: them. Yeah. It definitely limits your, optionality um, but if you're you know if you know you're dead set on going to college and there's you know no amount of money that's gonna change your mind and and your advisors talk to these clubs already um, you know if, if something comes out on on Sunday uh, that wouldn't or, or Saturday that wouldn't surprise me if we saw somebody else make make a similar announcement obviously I don't know who that would be but <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I could see somebody else doing it too.
0: Well, the next question was, who are your top five players who are going to withdraw from the draft in the next few days, Ben? So, oh man, we're out of I luck. On myself that. in the hole there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
0: oh, we had another good one. I'm trying to find out. Uh, it was about draft demographics. Sorry, I'm trying to sort through these live. Probably should have filtered them a little bit more. Um.
1: I do think that conversation lends itself though to also like did Canadian players who ventured to the states lose leverage for for in in whatever draft conversations that they're having because it is clear that they want to be drafted on the opposite end of the Mm -hmm. spectrum like if I'm a if I'm a guy who went to the states and played in the states for the last three months left my country it's pretty clear that I wanted to give myself a real shot here Mm -hmm. so do I lose leverage or does it matter at all because I still have that college commitment to a good school Mm -hmm. and so I think that conversation kind of leans into the other one as well the other way
0: yeah, that's a good little wrinkle in there. And I do think just high school kids in general are in such a good position. I mean, you can go to college if that's the best fit for you, but also leave leave open the potential of, of getting drafted. I mean, it's really up to you at the end of the day. Um, here it is. Brandon Warren on Twitter asks, what teams have the most predictable draft patterns at the top of drafts? And I, and I always like this, one. I think this is a fascinating one. the The two that come to mind for me immediately are, I guess, Baltimore – and it's not necessarily tied to Baltimore specifically, but uh, Elias and the people who are in charge of that uh, Sky department now, but it, it just seems like their, their willingness to go off the board for financial reasons and just get creative with the players that they're taking later on in the draft is, is one that I'll always keep in mind now. And it always makes them a wild card when doing mocks. And then another team that has had a pretty clear pattern of going college heavy at the top in recent years is Seattle, I mean, the last three years in the first round, they've taken college arms and we consistently have them linked to just college players in general. Um, but I mean, other time, ta- other teams that jump out are, are teams like Cleveland who really prioritize youth, age, um, hitterish traits that that Ben finds himself talking about consistently. They seem to like those players as well. Um, they're one of the teams that isn't afraid to take a high school pitcher in the first round. Um and then I guess teams like the Nationals and Detroit, it seems like they pretty consistently are drawn to physicality, size, guys who you don't have to – guys who you could draft and immediately put into pro ball and they would fit. It seems like both of those teams really like those types. So those are a few that kind of jump out to me right away.
2: Do you guys have any that you want to throw out? I was going to say the Nationals just, like you said, big pitchers mm. and, and lots of pitchers. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the last time they drafted a, a hitter in the first round – or, or the only time in the last 10 years they've done it was Carter Keyboom. Otherwise it's been a lot of pitchers and a lot of pitchers with, uh, um, you know, injury, either mm-hmm. injury history or, or some other type of medical risk, red flag with them. So, um, you know, Kate Cavalli last year, it's working out extremely well so far, the mm-hmm. reviews on him have been pretty outstanding. Their first round pick last year out of Oklahoma. But, yeah, that seems like a, a pretty, mm-hmm. pretty obvious preference for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, Mason Denenberg was another guy who had a few injury questions prior. I think he had some biceps issues the spring of his senior year. Uh, but that's a good one. Uh, Alexis, did you have any that come to mind?
1: No, I think you guys nailed it.
0: Okay. All right. Um, let's see. Nick Sperlotti asks on Twitter, who's the high school right-hander that people shouldn't be scared to sign and who has the highest floor? I thought this was a really interesting question because I don't think it is the top high school pitcher on our board, but I'm curious if you guys have a pitcher who, who just jumps out to you from that one. The high I mean, school I pick. want
1: it to be Jackson Job.
0: <laughs> hey, if, that, if that's I who it is for you, there you it. go. Every,
1: I want every answer to be Jackson that's, that's We, we that's have found got.
0: Alexis's non Canadian favorite <laughs> player in the class. And I love it.
1: hundred percent. It's Jackson and dope. <laughs>
0: It was uh, a high school right-hander that people shouldn't be scared to sign and has
2: the highest floor. So I think the, the highest floor was the qualifier there. So just, just sort of like the safest high school yeah. right-handed pitcher. Uh, I mean, I guess kind of the easy answer there, other than Job, would be Andrew Painter, right? Yeah, that, that's the guy that I kind of immediately thought of. I mean, when we pulled teams in the
0: preseason, Painter, I think one like closest to the majors And generally that's a a pretty good indicator to me that it's a a safe selection, maybe a high floor selection. I think he is much more refined in pitching compared to Job, which is maybe what would lead me to pick Painter over Job, even though we have Job higher because of upside. Like Painter doesn't have the breaking stuff that Job has, but he's pitched for a long time. I think he's got some of the better command of any high school pitcher in recent years that that we've seen or, or that I've heard from scouts about. Um, and I think he's got the four pitch mix that you can really see now playing at the next level. You don't have to, I don't think you have to project a ton to see him in a starting role in some capacity in the bigs. That's how I yeah. It.
2: So, I mean, I, I would still, I mean, I would still take Job as mm-hmm. as the guy there, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. And, and there's some other high school, I mean, the, the risk of high school right-handed pitchers too, is also just, you know, taking them in the first round mm-hmm. when the opportunity cost of taking somebody else is is there, but you know, beyond that, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, really good high school pitching. I guess we're eliminating lefty. So, you know, just right. I mean, I mentioned Peter Hubeck before, mm-hmm. but like that that would be a guy I would be targeting in that, you know, second to third round range, maybe even later if I could get him and and pay him more there. Cause I think he, he throws strikes, has a three pitch mix that that projects really well at at the next level. So he'd be another guy would be I'd be looking at beyond the, the first round range. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil I'm Ma- always like oh, a little sorry, nervous. Like
1: oh, sorry. I that was going to say, I'm always a little nervous, not about, I wouldn't say this like about Andrew Painter in particular, but I'm always a little nervous about uh, like guys who are like six, six still have a lot of room to grow and how that affects the mechanics, how that affects repeatability um, where I think it is a little safer with a guy who is six six two, even though he has some room to grow too. I just, I guess, uh i don't know the bigger taller guys always give me a little bit more pause
0: Mm -hmm. uh neil mogg on twitter asks would a team be able to select two high school players with their first two picks and be able to sign both of them uh i think the short answer is just yes i mean we see a lot of teams do this high school players obviously are, are thrown into the costlier um bag a little bit more frequently but it just because you're in high school doesn't mean you're just automatically unsignable. And I think most high school players drafted in the top two rounds. I mean, if teams are drafting you in the top two rounds, they feel pretty good about being able to sign you generally. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think it, I mean, we see it pretty regularly. I don't think it's crazy to do that.
2: Yeah. They're also having yeah. conversations with their mm-hmm. agents or advisors before they're drafting them to, to make sure, Hey, we're good to go here. Right. Yeah. And I think the general yeah, assumption like
1: so work there,
0: I think the general assumption you should make for for every player drafted in the top 10 rounds is that if a team selects them, they're going to sign. There have been a few um, players who haven't signed. I think the 2018 draft was a bit of an outlier for the number of players who were selected in that range that didn't sign Matt McLean and Gunnar Hoagland, who are both uh, featured in this year's class were two of the more notable ones. Um, but I think it's something like 99%. Like if you go back through the last 10 years, it, an overwhelming majority of players drafted in the top 10 rounds sign because teams are, are doing the homework generally. Um, and, and outside of some weird medical situation like a Brady Aiken or a Carter Stewart, um, you can generally just bank on everyone signing. <clears throat> um, let's see. Dr. Keith Box says, what are the chances that Maddox Bruns makes it to Mississippi State? Um, I think these questions are a little bit tough because, again, we're not in the room for these conversations about signability and price tag and don't know necessarily how much these kids want to go to school. But I I find it, I think there's going to be a team that is really excited about the stuff he throws from the left side to make it happen. And I think I would be a little bit surprised if he made it to campus, although each of the last few years, there have been pitchers ranked in his range that have made it to campus. Uh, I think Carson Montgomery was the most recent one uh, who made it to Florida state. So I think he probably doesn't, but like any of the players, any of the high school players in that range, it wouldn't be shocking if they did make it to campus is how I'd say it.
2: Yeah. I think yeah, that's, I think that's fair. I mean, we, we've seen that, like, you know, like Victor Maderos or, you know, some of these other guys we've had ranked as top, you know, two, three round type guys make it to campus. But if they're, you know, if they're ranked that high, it's, because the teams like them, uh, like them in that range. So there's a pretty good chance they're going to sign. But I mean, obviously, you know, we're talking a lot about Jack lighter and Kumar rocker and they were, <laughs> we had them as first round talents and they both made it to Vanderbilt. So uh, things happen. Uh,
0: our next question is from Mike Salerno, a uh, friend of BA. Uh, how's it going Mike do you think it's fair that the Red Sox have a very high pick in this draft and the Astros don't also why do you hate all the good fast food chains I'll hang up and listen Uh, definitely a shot at me for fast food and I think Mike you just need to reassess what you think are good fast food chains that's (laughs) that's the simplest answer for that one Um, but does anyone want to get on uh, a moral high ground here and talk about the Red Sox uh, having a pick and the Astros not for for cheating questions I think that's right. I what know, that think the punishments the the for cheating
1: were tough. <laughs> right? I, I mean, I think.
0: I think rightfully the players so. Have
1: said a lot. <laughs> the the players have said a lot about what punishments were dished out for cheating, what punishments were not dished out for cheating. Um, I I would tend to agree with them. I don't think there are there. I don't think there were enough punishments dished out. So. Um, I mean, I guess that's where I stand on that. It's uh, obviously other people are making those decisions, not us. So I can't say exactly what I would do if it was my decision, but I do think I would have uh, been a little more punitive.
0: Uh, Worth mentioning, Mike is a pretty big Yankees fan here. It might be relevant to his questioning. (laughs) Ben, did you have anything to add on that one? Not really. Anything to say about my fast food taste? Oh, definitely not.
2: (laughs) It's not the official...
1: they do not reflect lists, the official beliefs the
0: <laughs> yeah we need to get you to some right. subway when you get here Alexis it'll be great it'll be no great okay fun. we
1: have subway Canada we're not deprived of subway what about I Chipotle any,
0: um,
1: we we do have Chipotle now but it's just just got here
0: okay well 80 grade fast food chains, all I'll say um here's a good one from cooper reed on instagram now because of nil will it be harder to sign high school kids from now on so that's name image and likeness um with the new i don't know the details of what passed but i mean i i would i would think that this only makes college more appealing to athletes across the board right like it's not going to make it easier to sign them because they now have avenues to making money that they didn't Previously, so I, I would only imagine it just makes college even more appealing to players. Is, is how I'd say. I don't know how you quantify that. I don't know if NIL gets like priced into what players are asking for now. I don't think it probably moves the needle that much. Um, but I guess we'll have to see how that plays out in college generally and and how how baseball players are able to tap into that specifically. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think it definitely depends on the the college you're talking about because you have if you are if you go play pro ball, you have your name image and likeness already and you have the backing of a pro ball team so if you think you're going to get more money with your name image and likeness from a college than you are from a professional team I mean you got to gauge where that college falls in line with like like we're not we're not saying professional teams are not bringing raking in the money just like colleges are so I would I mean I guess it just depends which school you're talking about I don't think if you're going to like a lower level, lesser conference school, that it would move the needle at all.
2: I think it adds some value to be able to go to, if you if you want to go to college, you now have another opportunity to make money that way. But like Alexis said, you, you can do that already in the minor leagues and you're probably going to have more opportunity to monetize yourself and, and monetize your name, you know, through your own YouTube channel or, or whatever else, if you're a prospect in the Yankees farm system or the Cardinals farm system, then you are, if you're a baseball player at Florida state, like you're just going to have more opportunities there. And you're also going to get, I mean, if money is a, motivating factor for you. You're going to get a signing. I mean, you're not going to make barely any money as a minor league player. They pay those guys like eight grand a year, but for your signing bonus, you're probably going to get at least, you know, a couple hundred, few hundred thousand dollars to start off with, as opposed to going to college and you're not going to get a full college scholarship. So you're already going to start off in debt. So yeah, I mean, I think it helps add, I'm, I'm glad, college athletes have the opportunity to do that and add some more value if you want to go the college route but i don't think it's going to make a a huge difference because you can already do that in pro ball and there are so many more advantages to doing it on on the pro side if 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 that's a a big factor all right uh
0: babe ruth bomber 88 on instagram asks if the rangers pick jordan Lawler, how would that affect maximo acosta Luis Angel, Acuna, Chris Cease, and others. Those are some of you, Ben.
2: The, the, these issues of, or what seem like issues of, oh, we already have a lot of guys at this position. How is this? Mm. Why should we draft this high school shortstop? We already have a lot of shortstops in the system, or uh, we already have catching. Why are we taking another catcher? Uh, the these issues work themselves out. Most of those players who you like in your farm system at that position are going to be busts. Like they're just not they're most of them are just not going to work out. And I love Maximo Acosta and I love Luis San Cunha. And I mean Chris Sice, like, geez, man, I, I hope he can stay healthy. Like, but that's just a good example of the attrition of prospects. I mean, his career is not over by any means but yeah guys guys get hurt guys who look good when they're in low a or high a or or even triple a don't end up becoming good big leaguers so um you just want to load up your system with players so just just because you have good shortstops or good middle infielders in your organization doesn't mean you start targeting you know left fielders that's not (laughs) how teams uh how teams operate so um there's there's going to be plenty of playing time to go around for for all of those guys maybe they rotate between you know shortstop and and second base if they end up at at the same affiliate i mean i think you know acuna you know he, he could end up at second base he could end up in center field I, I think acosta could stay at shortstop but he's another guy kind of in that glaber torres body type mold maybe he, he ends up at second base or maybe he does end up at third base so um I don't it's not going to be an issue for for the Rangers to have, you know, another shortstop in in their organization. It's it's not going to have any, you know, negative impact on uh Acuña or, or Acosta either. Yep. I think you summed that up
0: perfectly. I think in general people maybe seem to think that it's it's more similar to the NFL or the NBA draft where positional need is a real factor, but just between how how baseball works and just the timeline for all these guys it it really just like you said doesn't matter i, I can't really add too much that, that you didn't already touch on well ben but alexis do you, do you want to add anything or, or no
1: no i mean ben nailed it when you said it works itself out i mean even if you look at it obviously like the blue jays this year and the catching depth that people have talked about they've had danny jansen they've had uh, Reese McGuire in the big leagues. They had Riley Adams come up. They DFA'd Reese McGuire. They had Alejandro Kirk. They still have Gabriel Moreno. And I mean, like Reese McGuire was DFA'd and here he is now back in the big leagues because there's a need there. Like these things do work themselves out. There are needs. Also, I mean, those are trade targets. Like why would exactly. you want to look for corner outfielders when you can pick up players who play up the middle and have add more trade value?
2: Yep. If, yeah, if, the old uh, sorry, just like I say the the Rangers used to have a, a big log jam of like what are we going to do with all this catching of Jared Saltalamacchia <laughs> and Taylor T. Garden and Max Ramirez <laughs> like where are all these guys going to play? Like well, all right, again, most of these guys it's, it'll it'll work itself out. Yeah. Some of these guys you can trade hopefully don't trade the wrong one. And um, <laughs> yeah. most of them are just a lot of prospects where we ranked 500 players for the draft and we're or really we ranked more than that. When we go to our, our state lists. And on draft day, you're going to see us tweeting about how much we love this pick in the 17th round for this team. But well, the reality is most of these guys just are not going to work out. So mm-hmm. that's that's why we like to go deep because then we're also going to be surprised by some of the guys who who do get drafted in that seventeenth yep. round who do sign and and go on to be um, you know surprise big leaguers. Yeah,
0: and even in the uh, best case scenario where all these guys work out, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having too many good shortstops. <laughs> like it's a it's a good problem to have. It's a common complaint among exactly. clubs. Is we have too many. Good <laughs> we players. have too many who don't know what to do. Um, Ethan Nooner, I believe on Instagram, asks, "How long do you think Jack Lighter and Kamar Rocker will spend in the minors before getting called up?" Again, this one is tough because a lot of it just depends on the competitive window of a team. I think Ben's conversation about the Red Sox and Lighter earlier hopefully shed a little bit of light on on how that could impact it. But like a guy like Lighter going to the Red Sox versus going to a team like the Pirates think the timeline is a lot different and that has nothing to do with Jack lighter as a player. So a lot of it just depends. I think we've said before that we, we both think me and Ben, at least and Alexis, you can say if you, if you don't think this, but we think Jack and, and Kamar are, are some of the more advanced players in the class who would easily be ready to pitch in some capacity in the big leagues very soon. But it's just hard to say before we see which org they're with because teams aren't going to push a guy like lighter or rocker. Um, to pitch for a bad team, unless, I mean, they're not going to do that. It doesn't happen.
2: I think it'll be interesting too this year because, you know, look like normally and with pitching, yeah, sometimes you just shut them down, right? Like those guys have pitched a lot, and, and Vandy. Obviously, you went to the, you know, won the College World or did not win the College World Series. They went to the College World Series. <laughs> Ouch, Ben. Wow. Yeah. But they, you know, they they, they pitched the into the last game of the College World Series. So they, you know, they, you know, these guys had big workloads. They went as deep as anybody. Right. So maybe you just shut them down or limit their workload, but it'll be interesting to see where they get assigned this year because, you know, I think normally you might send somebody, you know, to the New York Penn league or the Northwest league, I don't know if you've heard, they don't exist anymore. So do you, do you send these guys straight to, to low A or, or do you send them to high A? Like where, where do these guys go to start the year? Where do they finish the year? I mean, if they finish in high A, does that put them in position to open 2022 in, in double A? I, I could see that happening. And if you're starting the year, in double a you're, you're definitely in position at that point to make the big leagues at some point by, by the end of that, by the end of 2022.
0: Yeah. I think to your point of shutting them down, Jack lighter just threw 15 innings in 2020 and jumped all the way to 110 innings this spring. So it'd be pretty surprising to me if he was throwing much at all after he was drafted, I, I would imagine it's a pretty easy case to just shut him down, let him rest. Um, Cause I would imagine you want to build those guys up, but Alexis, anything to add on this one?
1: No, I think, uh, I mean, I've agreed with kind of everything you guys have said along the way. I'm not going to start disagreeing now.
0: <laughs> we'll throw it to you first on this next one, then. Cream City, <laughs> and this kind of ties into what we talked about previously with grading out the demographics, but Cream City Prospects on Twitter asks, on a scale, on a one to five scale, man, really, really odd to be using a one to five scale on this podcast. Yeah, we a, <laughs> I'm giving you what a kind, two on your one to five. <laughs> a
2: <laughs> give them
0: a, Give them a one on their one to five scale. Uh, where would this draft class rank overall given the benefit of hindsight let's say the 2011 draft class was a five and the 2016 class was a two i mean I'll, I'll throw to you lexus first since we've been kind of going i and- mean
1: i guess it, it does depend like if we're talking about just the you you've already said this like are we just talking about the very top end or are we talking about the depth the depth is there the top end is different And I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, on a one to five scale, which is crazy talk, I don't know who these people are using these kind of scales, but we got to shift this to a 20 to 80,
0: (laughs) we'll, we'll shift Uh, it to 20, 80. So it's natural for us. And then we'll translate it to a one to five scale.
1: I think, oh, I think if it was one to five, I would go like right in the middle, but on a 20 to 80, I think I would just go like slow, maybe slightly below average. Like I might go like a 45.
0: I think I would do a 50. So I'll do a three on your one to five scale. I like the depth a lot. I like the high school class a lot. I, I do acknowledge there are some weaknesses on the college side though.
2: Yeah, I could go 50 because I do really like the high school shortstops and I like the depth of pitching. I think we're going to see all sorts of arms popping up that end up becoming really good prospects whether they sign or end up going to college. And unfortunately, most of them will probably end up going to college no disrespect to teddy and joe but i just want to see these guys in pro (laughs) ball as fast as possible but um so i'd I'd give it a 50. i could be talked into a, a 45 just based on the lack of high school or excuse me the lack of uh college bats especially impact college bats in that first round group but i'll i'll stick with a 50.
0: cool well, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, we've been going here for a little bit. So I want to thank both of you guys for, for taking the time. Alexis, thank you for uh, joining us for your debut episode. It was great to have you on. Um, and thank you guys for listening. Thanks to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. If you have not done that yet, you still can. Um, I think that still helps us out. We're pretty established at this point, but it never hurts to have a good review if you think we deserve it. Um, Choose that algo (laughs) Uh, i'll throw it to you guys is there anything you guys want to plug for listeners to follow your work anything you have planned in the next few days or weeks um, that you just want to alert listeners to alexis you go first
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I obviously the the draft and draft features has really been uh, my baby over the last while. So I will definitely, as these players are are being taken in the draft, I will resend all of those out. But they are on our draft hub um, at BaseballAmerica.com. The stories can be found there. I do have um, one more tools breakdown with Judd Fabian coming out. I'm guessing probably Friday, tomorrow. Um, ahead of the draft, I definitely, obviously have fully in depth written about every Canadian on the BA 500 for all of the Canadian fans. Our community is strong. I feel, I feel you, I feel you, you have to go to those stories now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've done a bunch of draft features. They're in the draft hub. All of our draft work is really in the draft hub. So I would direct everyone there.
2: Ben. Yeah, we've got futures game we've got the draft looking forward to seeing you on the mlb network broadcast carlos we've got we've got a lot of we'll have so much for the draft and then we're updating so many lists for the future drafts it's always that we've been kind of straddling the line between 2021 draft coverage and 2022 and 2023 at the same time and and there's also MLB as like a high school all-star game out in Denver with a bunch of the top Can't wait for that. Yeah. Elijah green, Tamar Johnson, Drew Jones. It's like the worst marketed game of all time because they're just like, there's so many good players who are going to be there and there's just no um, publicity for it at all, which is unfortunate, but um yeah that's right after the draft ends pg national big showcase for the 2022 draft we'll be there but yeah we got a but bunch of updated lists coming up lists reports for 2022 2023 and then obviously futures game and oh yeah the 2021 draft hasn't happened yet so we'll, uh oh and mid-season, mid-season team list too it's just list list
0: season yeah um, yeah it's good but yeah, I, I think it's
1: excitement season, exciting time.
0: Really is a ton going on. Uh, there will be a new mock draft up at some point on Friday. That's probably going to be the final uh, mock draft. We will we'll update it and tweak it um, the day of the draft if anything has changed. Um, but that'll that'll largely be the last mock before the draft. So I know you guys. Uh, I'll really like the mocks, but like Alexis is just saying, the Draft Hub at Baseball America. If you go to our website, it's the top left link. It just says Draft Hub. That's where you can find all of our draft content um, throughout the draft. There will be a live tracker on the day of. I know uh, Ben is going to do some live analysis, pick by pick, as we go. All um, beyond the draft, talking about a few of the players here and there. So that's always fun. But I guess just just check out BaseballAmerica.com. There's really a ton of content coming um, perhaps more now in a, in a concentrated amount of time than really ever than any other time in the year. So just keep checking out the site, but thank you all for listening and sticking with us. This has been the 14th episode of the future projection pod. Uh, we'll see you next time.